I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow, baby. Oh, he back. Let's get back up on top of things. Uh, put some gravy on that beard, baby. <laughs> Love the self thing. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk More Movies, a show where we try and talk about movies, but never talk about anything and everything else. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is Giancarlo. and back from Edinburgh. Yay! <laughs> it is. Calm here. Crack open that jumpers. <laughs> it's back, brother. Oh how, man, how was Edinburgh? How was it? That was sweet, hey. It's very dusty. <laughs> no, I'm not joking. <laughs> no, no, it's a really, really nice, nice spot, hey. Picturesque out there, and every like there was. I think my friend told me that over the course of the month, there's two and a half thousand shows. Every oh, like damn. nearly every one of them flaring on the street. I was doing a bit of flaring for certain shows. I was overdoing that play as well, and then I was helping a friend. I was um, playing piano with a friend, just giving him some backup. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 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 Sliding down them keys. Oh, just. Shit. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, how I was able to stay for longer was that I was cooking three meals for them for free. I love how you love awesome. food cooking. It's class. So good. See now, I kind of. It's not quite as interesting a story as what me and you made up, Mickey, about where Heron was because <laughs> obviously you were being very vague when you were out. You obviously, you were supposed to be gone for Aye. a week and that turned into four and a half weeks. Aye. Me and Mickey didn't know if you'd been enlisted under KGB. We didn't know if you were fucking directing porn films. We didn't know what the crack was. Yeah. So it is just well, you were cooking dinner like for a lot of boys. I'm like Casey Ray back, me cover as a chef. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody beats me in the kitchen either. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um. <laughs> Have an announcement to make for that. Are you okay to ask me best man again? You're going to ask her to be best man again? Need to ask you not to be best man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, this is going to be my last drink on the podcast for a while. That's right. <laughs> I forgot yeah. what you were doing dry September. I am. Um, it's a dry athlon for Cancer Research UK. What a funny. <laughs> so <laughs> I won't be drinking for the whole month of September. So... If, if anybody wants to <laughs> donate and make it worthwhile, yeah. that'd be awesome. Donate to keep this fucking podcast doing. We're not fucking doing it for four weeks. We, we have to drink for him in September. I know I might improve as a host if I'm not drinking. I see me and Mickey, we, we've discussed this. Like, we don't know, will it make Mickey a better host or will it make him a worse mm. host? Mm, that's a bit of an interest. Because I might get really bored during the podcast and just kind of space Because <laughs> 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 I'm not drinking. I'd be every week and I'm still fucked. Like, you know, just get a wee bag of skunk on you before you start. Like, you I know. see that as I was thinking. If I just take more drugs, <laughs> then I'll kind of even it out. <laughs> 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 that's just like, give up drink for September, become a hell of an addict. White Trust One Vice and not the other, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if, you, if any of the listeners would like to support my cause of not drinking for September, you can go to justgiving.com forward slash less drink more giving. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Hey, hey, that up, <laughs> 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 Final tally: 
three pence. <laughs> a fiver is a bar. Do you say it's a fiver a mile on? No. <laughs> you can give whatever you want. You, you can't. Place, it's not about fiver a mile on. You're getting at least fucking 20 pence off me. Hey, you can give 20 pence. It's great. Happy days, that's how you're getting. I'm glad, I'm glad we discussed this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so since it is my last time drinking on the podcast for a while, we I, want, really I want to get annihilated tonight. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, so I thought I would do something a bit special. Oh, do we have a danger bottle? Oh, oh well, well, really it's time for danger bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's about intense, isn't it? It's so intense. I swear that sounds like the fucking voice from Resident Evil games nine years ago. <laughs> Resident Evil. That is fucking horrifying. Scruff told me that he made a new jingle. Yeah, that's. I don't know if I like that or not. <laughs> no, it's a bit intense. Isn't it's it? weird as well because the first Aye. podcast we done, we're sitting in the dark. I'm yeah. fucking shit. I'm, I'm feeling like zombies are going to bust through the fucking tent. Have us wait again. Have us wait again. Go and get another listen. That's about fucked up. That's fucking class. That was the complete opposite. At least Hero's Journey's light. That's no. fucking that. That's horrifying. Oh, well, we should probably tell the listeners as well. We now have a desk uh-huh. in, in the po- in the pod <clears throat> tent yeah. in the blanket fort. I wonder what that was. My elbows leaning on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like a, a comatose Dan or something. <laughs> or a scruff, as it happened. Just two of them. Just I just had two of them sandwiched. I feel, like we've got, I feel like I'm on Fraser or something like that there now. Like we've got our own wee fucking uh, show going on. Well... We should they do be, a radio play. To be a bit more professional, check that top drawer right beside oh, you there, Shogun. Oh, what was that phrase? It's actually not drinking for a moment. Mr. Penn now. What's <laughs> yeah, on here? <laughs> oh, fucking hell. What's this? What the fuck? What's this? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what a fucking return to form. The danger model this week is a very humble ball of gold slagger. <laughs> oh, oh, I love oh, this. Oh, you've this tested me This is what I used to fucking past. drink when I was like 16. Yeah. There, there should be some shot glasses in there, oh, though. Oh, fucking hell, are you serious? <laughs> oh, there are shot glasses? Disposable shot glasses. <laughs> this is incredible. Oh, fucking eat the glass. Let's right? do fuck it. Let's go fucking mad. <laughs> Here, take a shot glass. Here. Is this like a celebration for you not drinking? This is definitely... Gold Slayer's definitely over a fiver, Mickey. I know. I'll let, you off, I'll let you off this time. You've broke the Aye. ancient laws of combat when it comes it to was, uh, danger models. It was seven points on. Yeah, well, that's not so bad. Aye. Right, ball of gold slinger. Do you mind the rumours used to go about years ago too? The butts of gold and say gold slinger for our American <laughs> listeners, gold slick. But the butts of gold and say gold oh, is that, slinger. Is that what it's called? Gold slick. That's what they're chatting about in the super bed and stuff Aye, but like that. Is that not made up? Gold slick vodka. They just made that up. I always assumed that's bed? what it's called in the states. Gold slick. No, because that's not vodka. Like it's a cinnamon it's liqueur, like, I believe. Isn't that aniseed? Yeah, no, it's, it's cinnamon. Is it? See now. There used to be a rumour going about so I'm just pouring these shots like here for, 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 for I know apparently a total lining of your stomach to get you more wrecked, which is of course bollocks, but let's well, believe that for the night. <laughs> right and if you drink enough of it, do you do a solid gold poo? <laughs> <laughs> and Donald Trump's solid <laughs> gold toilet. Right. We got our shots poured. Yeah. Chin chin. Cheers. To chin, your chin. future wedding, the herons return and the not drinking for Not a month. Not drinking for a month in general. <laughs> boys, chin hey. Chin. Oh, <sighs> it's just as nice as always. Text me back. <laughs> Text me it's back. Like atomic yeah. fireballs on there. Aye. Cinnamon. Cinnamon bunchies. I've completely lost me. Oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, what have we watched this week, folks? Come here. 
well, I'll say very quickly. I watched Touch of Evil last night, but oh. we've already talked about that. Um, uh, I watched once, both of which the night before I watched once with my dad. Loves once, hated Touch of Evil. He hit Touch of Evil. No, I like it. He hits it. Your dad hates Touch nah, of Evil. By John. Like by John. He just said. He said it feels like a very amateur production. <laughs> <laughs> As compared to once. Go ahead. Compared to once. I know. Amateur fucking ball I've ever made. But I fucking love I love his. It's all. But I was trying to get to the bottom of this. And he just said, it's just. I, I was all, do you mean like just. And, and the sincerity of it or how real it is? It's just not realistic. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> and all the stories really simple and all. And I was all, I, but that's the sort of thing we fall into our simple story. But they sort of tell uh, you political and, and all this kind of stuff. And he's examining the, the demon with a man, of course. Fucking right. And I. Oh, he didn't get that at all. He's on my way fucking bed. <laughs> <laughs> Although, in all fairness, there was a line at the start of Touch Evil. And it's one of the most balls lines I've ever heard in my life. It's so naff and it's so dead. I just wanted to hear you breathe that one. No, it's Sharon no. Heston and it's before the fucking uh, the, the, the bomb goes off in the back like here. And she's all, uh, do you know we haven't been back to the hotel in a while? And he's all, do you know I haven't kissed you in an hour? Ah, <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Even the delivery's push. Uh, me and my friend used to do this uh, Sharon Heston impression and it's just a noise. You can't really see the face because you need to see the teeth as well. The big gnashers coming out at you. But it's just a noise that is the impression of Sharon Heston. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> you just see him just standing atop a big bubble like a thing fuck him and everything he's just all <laughs> Charlton Heston's always kind of t- it's, it's always been weird with Charlton Heston right because any any Chuck Heston film that I've seen he's the only fucking Chuck Heston baby. he's the only actor that I've seen that he can be rather unbelievably good like I mean the spoof on Wayne's World where they have to get aye, on the better aye, actor and, right they, and they use Charlton Heston as the template yeah, yeah, for the better right actor he can be obviously unbelievably good and you know probably well, maybe sort of rightfully. Classicist, like I mean. probably sort of rightfully known for being one of like the, the you know the, the best actors of the Hollywood Haiti and stuff like that. But then I've seen some Charlton Heston films, and he is balls. <laughs> I mean, even there's there, there's elements of, uh, Planet of the Apes. Now maybe, I, and I don't think it's just the right. Oh, even though Planet of the Apes is a stone cold classic, there's just personally he's, he's just really fucking bad on it. He's just he, uh, he looks like an actor who's just at a fucking finishing school, like you know what I mean. Uh, but a forgotten uh, feature of less talk more movies. Film reviews by Heron's dad. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> fucking loved once. Absolutely, I thought it was lethal. Like, and I thought because he's not a fan of, it's not a sad ending once, but it's not, it's not the obvious ending. And uh, and he was still happy enough with it. He just went, hey, you know, it's a nice film. He loved the music as well. He was won over by the music and all. And I just thought it was great. Like, and he said he woke up thinking about it the next day. And it's like that's, he's fucking never said that to me once in my life. And the amount of films I've shown him. <laughs> ah, that's, that's good. Nice. It's a bonding experience but, uh, to and so on. Uh, what was it? Uh, aye, what I did see actually, just you know, a film that we haven't talked about was The Rainmaker by Francis Coppola. Uh, Matt Damon. Aye, I mean it's. I, I watched. I watched that one as well. Actually, it was. It's Matt Damon and Danny DeVito and Mickey Rourke. And uh, did you know what it's about, Mickey? Uh, no. No, what Matt Matt Damon is he's just pretty much straight out of law school. John Boyd's on it as well. Straight out of law school. Straight out of law school. <laughs> God damn, some blue flamer chronicle cat. No, I'm joking, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> straight out of law school, and uh, he kind of gets put on at the deep end uh, by this slightly shady lawyer played by Mickey Rourke, and he gets sort of partnered with uh, Danny DeVito. They take on these sort of uh, high risk insurance cases. I'm just thinking about now. They really should have named that fall straight out of law school. Would <laughs> 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 give it that age, you know. There's well, the rainmaker was like, "Gonna make it rain, money." <laughs> That's what it comes oh, from. Oh, really? Aye, aye. 
gonna make a rain of money on this thing and all that whatever. But uh, and it's it's sort of it has all these uh really nice uh production elements the way like Clint Eastwood's crime films would have and all. And they really one thing about Clint Eastwood, I mean, I know it's not Clint Eastwood directed it, but uh, he really picks his locations really, really well, mm. and the houses he uses, and just how they're worn, and what you know, just, just they just look, they just look loved in, and they just look like they have character. And Coppola's no, no different. Like he's, he's a, uh, he was one thing I was just watching it, just admiring the set design. There's his, his, his frames are always filled with something, mm-hmm. you know, and it's always something that's appropriate to the part, you know, as well. And I mean, the film itself isn't. I wasn't particularly shocked by it. I wasn't, you know, oh, this is something new and stuff. When I, mean, I seen it, I just kind of took away from it that it was just a very pretty looking, nicely shot standard courtroom drama, like which essentially it is. pretty much was. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I just thought it was all basic for Coppola. I was surprised. It, it just seemed a wee bit kind of one note for him. But I mean, it's not not that that fits dead, and it's still a good film. But yeah, go ahead. No, but it was. I mean, it, but, but not. Uh, you're exactly right. That it, it's just it, it's a very well produced, well made piece of work. But they're mm. they're. A, I mean, there's not much else you could have really done, mate. Not really stands out about it. Not really, no. I mean, there's a couple of shots that kind of strike me and stuff. I mean, there's a shot at the end with a voiceover with Matt Damon, where Dan DeVito walks down the steps in this uh, firm that they had. Yeah. And you sort of see him uh, looking out the, the door from each side and then leaving. And you kind of really didn't see him do that the rest of the film. You didn't see that side of him as much. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a nice shot. It was like a like, kind of Roger Deakins looking shot, you know, kind of like a colour version of the shot and uh, uh, the man who wasn't there was really yeah. similar to that like the sort of long wide hall kind of Coppola or sorry Kubrickish sort yeah. of but it was down a flight of stairs but um, not other than that it was just it was just a really well produced really well really good sets great cast but uh, ultimately I just you know it was it was an easy kind of watch it was, it was exactly what I wanted it was an easy watch uh, I, I want to talk about one can I talk about one more film just that uh, I watched no <laughs> well, I was running time. I was watching Rainmaker. <clears throat> to be honest, I did fall asleep the first time, and then I watched the second hour the, the day after, and then I watched all of Primal Fear. Then, but mm. um, I no, no, no. I, I was just sort of a, in a courtroom kind of mood, you know, and uh, watched that, and then I watched Capote as well. But Primal Fear, actually, I really, really enjoyed uh, because I mean, it's, you don't see that many films of Richard Gere, sort of. You don't. They never really jump out at you. But Primal Fear was always, you know, one that I wanted to watch because. Edward Norton was always talked about really highly oh, in that film. Well, I mean, like, that's his, that's his, that's his first one, yeah, isn't it? his first performance, performance yeah. and it's fucking a sight. So wha- one thing I actually really liked about Primal Fear was um, I'm a big Laura Lenny fan and uh, she's one uh, actor that there's a, there's a theory out there that we screenwriters and stuff where they say that a lot of female parts are like uh, they're always the second patsy the, the, the male part. Or there, what is that theory there's again? A, there's a theory that very few actual... Fuck, I can't remember. If you can Google, it'll be absolutely class. But there's a theory that very few Hollywood films actually have any sort of female character that doesn't just act as a satellite it's, to yeah, a male character. It's sort of, it Essentially, the man. Exactly. it's very, very tough to find a female character in any sort of big production film that uh, has any discussion outside of talking about the man or their uh, love exactly. or their relationship uh, with yeah, the there's, there's like a They're test sort of for it. Yeah, I can't sort of remember the, what the test is called. Uh, is it Hectville or something like that? Uh, there's a I test. I am the Sorry, Google it anyway and you'll be able but to I find it immediately. The, the, I think, especially in this film, her character really does really well on this. Is, is, and I don't know, I mean, I, I kind of feel like that it was going a certain way mm-hmm. and I would like to think that she made it happen the other way. Because there's, I mean, there's always suggestions that her and Richard Gere are going to get it together. And this isn't really, it's not reckon a big part of the thing at all, but she's pretty much his equal in it. 
mm-hmm. and she's as good a lawyer just from the other side and stuff and she's still f- she's fighting the same she has the same kind of troubles they can o- overcome but then there's a bit at the very end he thought oh they might get it together and it's her that just goes nah you yeah. know and it's just and I'm just sitting there going fucking right you know I, I was really fucking happy that, that they didn't go for that fucking thing S- standard tagged on aye and it's just like oh the you know the the fucking case is over now we can sort of you know have, have our way with each other I, I, it's more like just fucking and I just thought that was just it, it did it was completely anti that that theory of you know the, the satellite of the man it was like she was a fucking proper stand and dependent person Aye. fair play there fucking shopping by gears <laughs> no sweat there okay Aye. uh it's called the Bechtel the Bechtel that's right, hang that's on what is it Aye, the Bechtel test the Bechtel, the Bechtel test, test. and there's three things uh the movie has to have at least two women in it yeah. mm. who talk to each other about something besides a man I remember because and apparently not a not a lot of films past this. Time. Yeah, I think it's actually <laughs> scary. I, I, and think, I know. I think for for Death Proof being seen as like a, a feminist film, all they talk about is men in the yeah. fucking car. Yep, it's true, and it's. I think I touched yeah. this. Yeah. I think I touched this a couple of weeks back about how there is a massive, uh, a sort of a massive derf or uh, sorry a massive lack of uh, good female roles in Hollywood. And it's been a thing that's been discussed for so in many years. In the last year, specifically last year, I think there's been a lot more like. Even at that, I mean, like, it, would no, but I would like to think it's going to fucking move up more, like, but you know, in the last year, year and a half, I, th- I think uh, there's been a definite fucking, there's been more, like, I, but I mean, like, you would assume because obviously it's 50 50 with actors and actresses and stuff like that, that it should mm. be kind of half and half, and it's still not the case, even though, I mean, like, and it's an awful thing to say that even we uh, females getting more half decent parts, it's like, oh, well, you know, they're getting a couple more now. It shouldn't be that way. No, it no, shouldn't no, be seen I, as like I'm a not saying it was, but I mean, I'm saying, you know, by the change in the tides, it's, it, it's definitely getting better. I would like to think so, worse, obviously, like, because, like, I mean, Jesus Christ, they, they have a voice as well, and there's so many more interesting stories you can do with women that you can't actually do with a male character. Uh, what I watched this week was uh, the Lethal Weapon quadrilogy. Yeah, I know. What, what a week, you what, what a treat. <laughs> what a treat. Watching all the Lethal Weapons, I realised I think only seen the even numbered ones. <laughs> right? I, know, I love this, right? Because <laughs> Mike, years, Mickey, <laughs> Mickey takes me on Monday night and he was all, I'm about to watch, you know, the four Lethal Weapons again. And I was all, Lethal, happy days, you know, good stuff, get on it. And then he takes me halfway through Lethal Weapon 1, or the original Lethal Weapon, he was all, you know what? I don't actually think I've seen the first <laughs> Lethal Weapon before because he couldn't remember fucking couldn't anything. Remember what did you reckon? Oh, it's fucking sweet. It's fucking it. unreal, isn't it? <laughs> Was it the director's cut? Yeah, the director's cut. Aye, aye. Richard Donner knows where it's at when it comes to putting the R-body flick, like, you know what I mean? Fucking right, hey. Who's that crack? Joe Silver knows but, the fucking uh, crack, too. Yeah, aye. producer, like, you know. But I no, I watched the second <laughs> one then and I remembered all that, so Dev's seen that. The third one, the only bit I remembered in that air where they're they're showing off the, the bullets, the cop killers. I mind, aye, I mind aye. that scene where uh, Murtaugh has to take off his uh, bulletproof uh, vest and all. And Tell us this. Is the second one where fucking uh, Danny Glover's got that bomb down his bog? That's the only scene I remember from that film. Well, but in all fairness, probably is the most famous scene, like, but still. Can't remember fucking nothing about the story. It's the it's the South Africans like diplomatic immunity. Oh fuck, aye, aye. Mm. topical at the time. I think they they do kind of descend in quality, but I think the I the, think the, the first two are definitely fairly consistent with yeah, each other. Yeah, that's what I still really like the third one as well, even though it is a slight it's bit a down. Wee but bit then happier, fo- right. four is there's some kind of good action stuff in there as well, like but it's it's not a great story. Yeah. Like it's do what needs to happen because uh, they have been writing five. 
Have they? They have. Sure, f- five and six been made by Yumbo. <laughs> <laughs> it's always sunny. Yeah. So good. <laughs> but uh, I think the story, the treatment, is that uh, Roger's son's become a cop. Oh, Jesus. But I think... The, the idea they have now they're uh, away in like a Riggs's fashion trap or something <laughs> have they learned nothing from Die Hard 4 like do not introduce the uh, sons in the lineage no, thing but they're, they're away in five, some f- fashion trap or something like us here it just sounds fucking really daft yeah. Uh, yeah. but like I mean what needs to happen is like they need to fucking they need to kill Rene Russo or something turn male mad again or something like that <laughs> see that's, that's, <laughs> no that's what I was going to say that's why fir- the first one is my favourite that Mel Gibson does have the whole mental kind of suicidal thing going on uh, and all friends all I have to do is that's a real badge I'm a real cop that's a real fucking gun <laughs> all that shit turn Mel Gibson mental just introduce any sort of gay character and I'll go fuck on bananas another thing you know what I was saying about I was talking to you about how Tom Cruise doesn't really do proper origin stories you meet the character when they're like a fair amount down to their life. I don't think Tom Cruise ever has done a proper origin story. I think it's more because Tom Cruise just... It's weird about Tom Cruise. He's got such an aura that he's kind of just Tom Cruise, but in Aye. different scenarios, you know what I mean? Aye, but the thing is, with Mel Gibson, in most of his films, his wife is either dead or is about to die. Lethal Apple, Braveheart, The Patriot. Fucking I fucking the list goes on like it really is. <laughs> Did I have a wife in Maverick? Uh, you, would you stop bringing up Maverick? Crowbar and I'm Maverick. Did you see, oh, hey, that's Richard oh, Donner as well. Have you seen the fucking Raj cameo on Maverick? Aye. <laughs> Aye, fucking right. It's so I weird. think there's even like a wee kind of... There's like a wee... A wee refrain? A wee half second of the Lethal Weapon fucking thing in it. What, is the Lethal Weapon theme again? I can't even mind. Go on, do it for me. Do, do, do. Your fist is sheer <laughs> ecstasy. <laughs> I fucking love it, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a solid quadrilogy. Uh, what I watched this week, watched uh, Young Frankenstein, absolute classic. Like classic. you know what I mean? Classic. Do you know what I noticed about Young Frankenstein, which really stuck with me that I probably didn't get the first he's couple of times I watched it? Much he thought he was, you know, he thought he was like thirty, but he's, he's actually really. But he was actually 41 when I showed him. He's like 20 or something. You know if I'm really sad nah, already? <laughs> you know if I'm really sad already? Gene Wilder's 82. He's just, he's just getting on about that. I always assume that Gene Wilder's kind of eternally young. Sure, did you did you not see him when he was in Will and Grace? He looked old as fuck. Yeah, he really did. Did you know what, what uh, on the opposite scale, Army Hammer's 29. That's fucked him, man. <laughs> Even though... You know <laughs> what I thought that was 40? <laughs> no. No. Do you know what I thought that fucking day? Is it... <laughs> No, honestly, I was reading it on fucking Wikipedia. Honestly, like, uh, viewers, if you, fuck it, if you could see his face, <laughs> he's got a big Jack Nicholson mad haircut. He's all, do I find out the fucking day? <laughs> What's mad, right? You know, fucking backyard, Alicia Silverstone. Yeah. From Clueless and stuff like that there. Uh, she's, she's still only 38. Shut what? the fuck up. I swear to you, fuck, it's just because... What she was Clueless? She was like fucking 12 when no, she did Clueless. <laughs> <laughs> you see this thing? <laughs> see, this the thing, right? He just stretched her out just. I couldn't get fucked over. Just fucking flattened her out like pasta. <laughs> <laughs> just as I go on. All right, they fucked it. When Clueless Clu- was released in 1995, when she done Clueless, she was only 19. And then she done Batman and Robin in 97 when she was only 21. So it's just because she's been in the public eye and been kind of semi-famous yeah, for so long so that she's still only 30 fucking eight. That's right. mad, like. She needs to start knocking out good parts when she's 40. Oh, she, she, she's basically fucking sad. I mean, like, her career died straight after. She was on that, uh, that fucking, 
fuck, what do you call him? He writes modern espionage, but he writes espionage for kids as well. I'm not quite uh, sure, but Storm, Stormbreaker with Mickey Ward. Was she in that? Uh, she was in it. She was like an assistant. I found out on the day that obviously Clueless, uh, Amy Herculin film, as if anybody fucking even mentioned that, yeah. that put her on the superstardom, and then obviously she was uh, put on the Batman and Robin. And now with the you know the, the benefit of hindsight, we can see that uh, Batman and Robin was probably one of the biggest fucking it was d- a porn of shame. disgraces ever and stuff like that. But off the back of that, because it was still uh, a box office kind of success, mm-hmm. she then got. Uh, like a two picture deal with Columbia, and the first one was I think it's Excess Baggage or Excess Executive Baggage, ba- uh, Excess Benicio Baggage, Del Toro and Christopher, Christopher Walken, Walken, like uh, two fucking superstars, and that bombed, and then her career just fucking fell apart. And then more so recently, I didn't know this until today, she's went more on the like being uh, like uh, on the animal rights, and like you know, she's a big fucking high profile she had vegan that TV and author show where uh, she was a matchmaker or something as well. Yeah, I think it was just called The Matchmaker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I have so. to say, I followed that for about a season. Jesus, man. <laughs> I'm glad I went for about a season. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've seen all of Matchmaker then. <laughs> According to Mickey. I don't know. It's just because it was all I know. Fuck, I'll flick over. But uh, I could do it about Alicia today. Happy days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there's nothing else they watch with Alicia in it. Like, there's like five other things. Uh, it's young Frankenstein then. I read nothing. Hey, come on. Went off one there, boys. Uh, <laughs> the fuck Batman cover. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Orly just over some fuckers. Batman always comes from the shadows. I thought you would know that, but being a comic book fan, Mickey, being a comic book fan, like, you know what I'm saying? I always come in the shadows. Whoa. <laughs> 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 oh, I like that. Aye, but that, aye. Young Frankenstein. <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm reaching for this point. That's not getting there. Uh, do you know, watching again, what I realised is that not only obviously is it a comedy classic, but it's actually just such a well-made film. It's brilliant. You know the way, obviously, we parody films or spoofs, and obviously that is a spoof of like kind of the old Universal 30s horrors and stuff. It's just, you know... G- using the idea of those films and then just mining their narratives for crack and you don't actually think about the style stylistically young Frankenstein is fucking amazing there's a lot of interviews on Mel Brooks Mel Brooks and apparently Gene Wilder was on his back about this too said that they went over the top out of their way they recapture the look and the style of old black and white uh, 1930s kind of universal uh, monster movies and stuff like that the fact that even they shot it in black and white put so many studios off because it was the 70s new Hollywood was starting to kick in and they thought mm-hmm. oh you know that that's yeah. that's the studio system nobody wants that anymore nobody wants black and white you know fucking sling your hook it's not happening but even just watching and obviously I didn't get this the first time I watched it as a kid and I was just on the kind of like, like the sort of slapstick comedy and stuff like that is uh, as just how well it looks there's even like we kind of uh, solo references on there, the brief encounter at the train station, David Lean films, and all sorts of other films on there that I would never have caught, you know, with a young mind. But then you take all that, and that's good, you know, from a visual standpoint, but then it's just all so fucking funny. <laughs> I mean, there's a. Uh, Tim White is one of the best fucking uh, actors ever loved. And it's, and it's, I mean, I guess that it's the famous scene. But there's very few, and I would actually, I would probably name even about three scenes that even though I've seen them so many times, you know, the way like you have your favourite comedy scenes and you'll see them a couple of times you'll actually laugh out loud but then when you see them again it just yeah. makes you feel good but you don't actually laugh out loud because you know what's coming I can't help but laugh any time I watch the scene where they're doing putting on their ruts <laughs> and it's fucking hilarious it's just 
it's Peter Boyle's intonation of his voice. It's, it's fucking unreal. Like, and it's the most basic humour ever. It's literally just a man doing a fucking funny voice. But it just works so well. So, so well. But uh, it was nice to see that not only was it a great comedy, but then going back then, where I'm more like kind of adult mind, because I haven't watched it, honestly, in about eight years. It was uh, just so much more impressive then. And then just as a wee final fun fact, uh, Mel Brooks as the director of the film, for authenticity, and making it look like a 1930s uh, monster movie, and you know, a proper homage, uh, he rented all the original equipment from Dr. Frankenstein's lab, from the actual James Will Frankenstein, and apparently it cost them a fucking fortune. Uh, aye, so obviously I watched Young Frankenstein this week, and then another film I watched this week was just another one that I was revisiting, that I haven't watched in Young's American Werewolf in London. You ever seen, seen John Landis, nineteen eighty one? I remember watching it with my mother of all people. My uh, my mother, I'd say, almost or my ma, sorry, my ma almost introduced me the kind of cinema away because she was a massive horror film fanatic. When I was a wean, she used to have on like The Exorcist and fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And you want to talk about shaking her bags? You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, like she used to show me these horror films, not in the back because I used to be kind of looking from behind a pillar or something like that there, and then fucking had I sleep all light on for about three weeks, but. Uh, it was the first time that I ever kind of realised that Jesus a film can like have a lasting effect, uh. and it's. I mean, I think most people, especially children, who notice that film can have an effect. It's usually horror films because uh. it's the most visceral sort of feeling of being afraid. You know what I mean? Uh. But I remember watching American Werewolf in London, and it was the first time that I watched a, a film where not only was I afraid of this monster, and there was this particular scene that stands out towards the end where he yeah. fucking literally bites a cop's head off, like he just fucking. Bites his head off, no, See, like yeah, one chump. Like, what's happening? Two shoulder club. <laughs> 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 this episode's title: <laughs> Free Ticket to a Two Shoulder Club. <laughs> but I bites a head off his cop anyway, and uh, and that made me fucking shit me. I said, like, Jesus, because it really comes in. He busts his head through this fucking pair of shutters. <laughs> Just. <laughs> But he does, it's towards any he, he busts his head. He just does him. a Roy Barry on him, just to dog out the fuck. Don't care if you have security, you're still getting your head. <laughs> but anyway, sticks head through, champs your man down, and I was like, oh, what the fuck? It's like an eight-year-old or something. I was on Channel 5, I think it was just after Channel 5, but you know, started, because he used to show horror films on like Thursday and Friday nights and blah, blah, blah. Right. So, from seeing this, I was always kind of desensitized to horror films, but watching American Werewolf was the first time, maybe it's because I was a bit older, that I could actually recognize other things like atmosphere and, and, and the thing that they were trying to get through. I love that whole atmosphere around like the slaughter lamb and the moors and stuff again, like two fish out of our two American tourists going to this place they don't know nothing about. And then because the film literally dives on that straight away, you really don't know what's happening and you don't know why all the people or the pigeons in the bar at the start are being so fucking weird with the two American tourists, but it's because they know the secret of like the wolf men and stuff like that, bitten about the murs, etc, etc. So I've always loved that, but they cut it down, obviously, if, if, if nobody's ever seen American Werewolf in London. I did notice glaring errors watching it now as, as, a, as an older gentleman. Uh, <laughs> it's... It's really fucking naff. I like some it's soon. It's so eighties. Some it like there's a sex scene where he's piping this fucking nurse who was treating him. <laughs> nah, but like I mean, he was he, he's he's a sweaty fuck, and it's got the fucking ridiculous stereotype of any eighties film that the sex scene goes on for far too long. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's whopping her, right? And then see, and like, see at the start, the, the worst one is that, like, any 80 sex scene is, is, is its want. Is it, it starts in the shower where they're all standing up with each other, being all essential, and she's kissing his arm, putting on you, like, who does that? And like, nobody. <laughs> Like no, nobody actually does that. Like this, this is just like a film, that's, a that's, film muff. That this is what, what people I mean. do when they're trying to be fucking sensual. That's what I mean. I'm getting on to man. I'm just, I just, I did yourself up the armpit. <laughs> I just be all gone. Give that armpit a wee kiss. Here. <laughs> do us a wee favor. <laughs> it really gets me going. One's kiss on my armpit. Follow me on that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> there was a very, very quickly going off that though. Follow Heron on pitstop.com. Uh, <laughs> Brad's, Brad's pitstop. Uh, but you know what? I see the American one. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Pitt just walking around his armpit. Kiss it! <laughs> Kiss it, you cunts! That's on his writer. Some people want a keg of beer. Ozzy wants a fucking Brian My name is Brad Pitt Walks around me His fucking armpit I'm Bill Case <laughs> Case Brad's Pitt <laughs> <laughs> Anyway So American Werewolf <laughs> Summarizing on American Werewolf <laughs> London Good film Massively did it Creates atmosphere Really really well Unbelievably Over the top Sex scene Well like a fucking uh, Nose and a belly buttons And armpit kissing is completely unnecessary And a bit of fucking Nah nah Let me Yeah man which is grand enough, but it's still a fucking good watch. And as well, a cop gets that fucking head bit off himself. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Okay, we'll, we will move on to news, but I think it's time for another shot of Goldschlager. Ooh. Oh, you saucy tempest. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bresson, because he's in a celebration, because he wants to get, in his own words, annihilated before he goes in the dry <laughs> run for September, has demanded that we have a shot of the danger bottle at the start of every single feature. So Michael, yeah, nailed her, nailed her Breslin. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new one. Chin chin, lads. Chin chin. You'll be on shots chin of water chin. next week. You'll be actually on the Annihilator from fucking Gladiators. You'll <laughs> 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 be on the next month just. Always wanted that. All right, lads, here we go. Cheers. Oh, that is just so nice. Mm. It's like a warm hug and kiss. It's very oh, warm. After a long, hard very day at work. <laughs> okay, but, but more right. <laughs> we shall go on to news. First news is John Hamilton talks to co-star in the science fiction dramedy. Majori is it Marjorie or Majori Prime? He gives a flying fuck as long as John Hamm's and I'm so glad. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's you could tell me that John Hamm is going to play Brian Blessed in the Brian Blessed biopic, and I'd be on there first bum on the seat in the cinema. The, the story delves into themes of accepting loss and growing older following an elderly, arthritic former violinist named Mar... It, it's spelt Majori, but I think it's supposed to be Marjorie because Marjor- that sounds yeah. like more of a name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, staring headlong into the decline of old, old age as her memories begin to fail her, availing herself of a service that provides holographic recreations of deceased loved ones as their survivors would like them remembered. Marjorie spends her time with her daughter and son, in, and her, her daughter and son-in-law, and with an imperf- imperfect copy of her deceased deceased husband Walter, as he looked in the thirties and forties. Sounds like a bit of a straightforward narrative to me. Like <laughs> <laughs> John Hamm is in talks to play Walter, by the way, the deceased husband. Just have him play every character, why not? <laughs> it sounds mad enough as it is. Like I think it could work. I think okay. it sounds like a really fucking interesting story, though. Like. It, it kind of reminds me of that Black Mirror episode yeah. with the with the girl brings her mm-hmm. her boyfriend yeah. back, who is uh, Donald Gleason. 
Yeah, that's Sinnoh? the only reason. Oh. No, he was about to go into superstardom with Star Wars. Not that he's not already fucking big up there, anyway. Space wires. Fucking Gleason with his big fucking space wires head on him. But I just put this in because obviously, Shane, you have an undying love for John Hamm. And it, I think it sounds like a pretty sweet fucking story. It sounds pretty sweet. Uh, it's, you know yourself, I'm always just obs- obsessed with John Hamm. I want to see him do more. More Hamm. More Hamm. I say that at that, that, that interval too. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Probably I'm fucking dragging a couple of pounds at the moment. Like. You, you, you would have preferred him as Batman. Or I would have had him as Batman. Yeah, like. yeah. I would have had him as Batman. I do understand that John Hamm, maybe now in his early 40s, has just kind of passed it. But, I mean, for the Affleck, the older Batman, I, I, I would have had him on there in a fucking heartbeat. Or are they uh, not a similar age, Affleck Hamm? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, they are a similar age. And it's a weird one because I, I just... I you were saying that you always thought Ham looked a bit older for his age. I, well, the whole thing is is that uh, John Ham, if, if you've read anything about him, the reason that he didn't really break through until his, his, his uh, role Don Dripper in Mad Men is because any time he went for the roles of like a young 20-something, when he was a 20-something, all our actors who were less talented than him got them because casting agents used mm. to say to him, you are like only 28 or 29, but you look like you're... 37, 38. Uh, you don't yeah. look the age that you are. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then eventually his fucking fists caught up with his age. Uh, so he was perfect <laughs> then. They played like a kind of young 30 something, you know, Don Dripper. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, went on the superstardom. Yeah. Or rather his age caught up with his face, maybe. That's what I said. No, you said his fist caught up with his age. Ah, yes, anyway. You know what's going <laughs> <over. laughs> You know the fucking. <laughs> you nitpicking bastards. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I've always, like, we slagged Ben Affleck at the start about obviously you know being. Oh, you did. I was in favour. <laughs> See, I wasn't quite sure, and then you know the trailer so far of one over, and he does look the part. And as well, I, I like the fact that Ben Affleck is just you know a, a diehard Batman fan. I think that will you know hopefully bleed on this performance. Mm. But I just I just want John Hand to get that I, big role. I don't know if he's read or did it last week, but uh, uh, Leif Schreiber was on about coming back as Sabretooth. Yeah, three. I uh, Hugh Jackman was kind of teasing that. Uh, he's also, might come back. Uh, and he's also teased Old Man Logan. Aye. Aye. He's been doing that. Which is, though. and Hugh Jackman has been talking <laughs> about Old Man Logan for that's a fucking years. He's a, that's his favourite. That's my favourite. <laughs> You're my favourite. <laughs> Lee Schreiber is fucking Sabretooth <laughs> after Lee Donovan. Yeah. Lee, Lee Schreiber played uh, Sabretooth in X Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah. But then th- there was somebody else that played him in. First X Men wasn't it? Aye, it's so like, kind of wait, boy. Why not? Why not call that guy? Because he he was the superior Sabretooth. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, he was the superior Sabretooth. But oh, no, well, actually, saying that was Mickey. He? Star power. That's <laughs> what I mean. Like, it's just a fact that Leif Schreiber's a big actor. In front of, he's not a huge actor, but he could still get a couple of more fucking ones on that box. I actually didn't mind Origins. I just I thought know, it was a big actually, balls out see, fucking action. See, see, I just thought see it was when I said he was the superior Sabretooth, just because he was in a bad film doesn't mean he was a bad Sabretooth. You know what I mean? He was actually yeah. alright, I guess. Leo Schreiber, I guess. I think it was he about two cheeses. I yeah. think the back well, and forth. I think, uh, well, yeah, exactly. And I think he's just a victim of, of his own form because obviously Lee Schreiber and Hugh Jackman are two very accomplished actors. But what was most disappointing? Well, one of the things that was most disappointing about X Men Origins Wolverine is that Wolverine, even though you know a lot of people can shoot a stain and go, "Unless you're Batman, it's just a comic book character," you know, Wolverine or etc. etc. Certain characters in comic books, like Batman and Wolverine, can actually have so much depth from the fucking stories that have been written about them, uh, and you can develop them in so many other ways, aside from the hero who just kills the villain, and it's very, very one-note, one-dimensional. I actually thought Origins, right, and I, and I find this 
actually with every time I see Hugh Jackman play Wolverine, it doesn't matter what what how shite the scene is or how shite whatever it is, he's just so good at playing him. He gets and it. I don't I don't I, mind watching what the story is because I, I just think he's fucking yeah. sweet as Wolverine. I think that's why Hugh Jackman is universally acclaimed as Wolverine because even though yes his choice of films or his choice of Wolverine films has been a bit questionable. Uh, the Wolverine was okay. X Men Origins Wolverine was posh, in my opinion. It's the fact that he actually loves the character Wolverine. Now, as much as you want to see about the whole publicity thing about Andrew Garfield coming out, he was always always a Spider Man fan or Christian Bale going all oh, red. You know, even though Christian Bale was a good well, Andrew Garfield is a massive Spider Man fan. I don't want to diminish that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. But even though Hugh Jackman, I think it's even nicer. Like, I don't think Hugh Jackman was a Wolverine fan as a kid. But as soon as he was cast as Wolverine, I think he read and talking everything about the lore and the myth yeah. and the and the lineage of Wolverine, and he knows everything now, and he is in love with that character, and See, he knows that character so well. Like, old man Logan, he's been on about it for ages, and he said he would like to just sack it for a while, and then you know. Do it in ten or fifteen years, yeah. much the way I would love to see Michael Keaton reprise Batman. But anyway, yeah. uh, but I think have we ever seen a superhero do that, or an actor do a superhero fifteen years after whatever? Adam West. I kind of think <laughs> no, but no, but you know what I mean. After somebody else has played him and all this nonsense, I think I think it, it's on this yeah, era now. It's it's on this era now though of that. Kind of anything's possible, and it's possible that he could do that. But I think no, now that this third Wolverine it is actually you know, going to be an old man Logan I story. They're, they're teasing that it's going to be an old yeah. man. Do you know what? It's a very, very strange thing, right? Is that you can look at maybe like a Christian Bale or like a Michael Keaton and say, "Oh, they they were perfect for Batman in that era, and they were perfect for this or perfect for that." But then you can always um, you can always imagine Batman being recast as somebody else. So I mean, like Aye. they're not the fun of Hugh Jackman. Is that perfect as Wolverine, and he gets the character so much that I think it is gonna be nigh on impossible to recast him properly when yeah, Hugh Jackman's well, done with it. It's what, not keeping a suit on him. It's like he does. He even looks like him. He look, yeah, he, he's he, got the physique. Aye. He's got the attitude. If there was somebody before him to do it, it would have been Clint Eastwood, and you know, mm. and now it's him. And now we need there needs to be somebody else that comes out of the fucking woodwork. Like, and now obviously Hollywood's always gonna find somebody to, to fill in there, and well, they're gonna be a success or not. You know, we'll we'll not know yet, but. I think that is going to be a very tough job because, I mean, for me, like we were discussing before, Hugh Jackman would happily play Wolverine until he's on his fucking deathbed, like, you know what I mean? No, but yeah, yeah, no, I think it was, it's, I think it's his decision. Yeah, it's his decision to make this, la- this mm. next one, this last mm, one. Somebody, but what yeah. I was going to say about Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine, I think as the films have progressed, he's just gotten better and better <laughs> as Wolverine. Yeah, I, I, and I think the Wolverine is the best Wolverine he's ever been. Yeah, I, even, me too, actually. Nah, yeah. nah, X-Men too. No, uh, I, no, nah, X Men Two. Yeah, the berserk, the berserker scene in X Men Two is just that is vintage Wolverine. That is perfection. But you know what though, like that was a comic book fan's wet dream. Like no, but actually, he is the main character in Days of Future Past. It might as well be Wolverine's film. Mm. You know, he is the main character in it. Like I, I, th- I think it's partially because the star and partially because of him. But he, I mean, he he's the only character that's in both worlds, and he has the most yeah. screen time out of anybody. I don't know. In no, a strange way, Days of I, Future. I mean, like in Days of Future Past, I actually kind of seen it as that was the one X Men film where Wolverine wasn't really the main character. Well, I, X Men First Class. Like. <laughs> well, obviously, I'm besides X Men First Class, but even at that, his wee cameo was the thing that everybody talked about. Yeah. But I would say Days of Future Past of all the the films Wolverine is in. I think that's actually one where he's not the main character no. because I would think it's more about like Mystique and Magneto. I think it's their fault. 
No, it's I I would I, I would say the, the 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 used Wolverine is just the kind of conduit that l- exactly. links the two words you know, because he is the most popular character and stuff like that. Well, but I, I, if you're talking about whose film it is, Mystique is the is the kind of in my, in my head she she's the main character really. Yeah, but in no, the, but it, she she's kind of like the MacGuffin. She she's like what's there okay, like okay. she's she's the kind of key player in it like. It's uh, whatever happens with her is what happens the the exactly. overall story, but then I would say Professor X, I think yeah. it, like mm. that scene between James McAvoy and Patrick Stewart, and it's it's about his journey trying to kind of crawl himself back from what happened in first class aye, and what's aye. happened to him and aye. like taking back his powers and all. I would say it's more his film. Can I say two things very very quickly as well? Aye. Just quickly on what he was saying about because um, it's closely related. What he was saying is it, it's sort of it probably is more mistakes film, but what I'm thinking is just standard film formula. You know, you have that character uh, who's essentially the audience walking mm-hmm. into this thing. You know, and that that essentially is the main character. You experience what he experiences, and so for that reason, I think Wolverine sort of is the main because he's going into this world of like, you know. We we actually know a bit more because we've seen first class, but you're, you're actually you're actually living it through him a wee bit mm-hmm. more than you are any other character. I, it's it's kind of like a Mad Max kind of thing. Like yeah, he, yeah. he's the he's the audience's eyes. Kinda. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So for that reason, that's why I thought it. But anyway, yeah. sorry, what are we saying? The only thing I was going to say is that it's weird because you would technically say, like we've been discussing before, that Mystique is near enough probably the main character of that film. But what's strange is that Mystique, besides her superpower, is not that interesting a character. And she's actually probably the character, even out of the kind of reboot of First Class and Days of Future Past, that is okay. She's a, she's a grand character and stuff like that. But I personally think that, see, if it wasn't Jennifer Lawrence, who is probably the biggest female actress in the world right now, if it wasn't her playing, if it wasn't her playing Mystique, then I really, really do not think that they would have made Mystique the main focal point of Days of Future Past. I, I think completely I was, agree with <laughs> I, I think it was completely and utterly just a star vehicle for her. Because see if it was, was it Rebecca Roman Stamos who played, I think that's her name, yeah. who played Mystique in the, obviously the Brian Singer yeah. um, X-Men. She was a good character and she was a good supporting character, but she was never at the forefront. And Mystique never really has been at the forefront. But I think they have just crowbarred and really overhyped Mystique for the sheer purpose because it is Jennifer Lawrence. Okay, we'll move on, and it's a nice link because we're talking about Michael Fassbender. Bang. Uh, no, they released a photo of his, of Michael Fassbender in his Assassin's Creed garb, and they've also released a little synopsis of what the film is going to be. He has lovely eyes, man. <laughs> <laughs> through, revo- through a revolutionary technology that unlocks his genetic memories, Callum Lynch, Fassbender, experiences the adventures of his ancestor, Aguilar... Yeah. In 15th century Spain, that's that's all it says basically. But uh, well, no, they say more, but it's pretty boring. All it's saying, <laughs> all I'm saying is that from that brief description, they're they're taking up the kind of lore of Assassin's Creed, but they're not actually basing it on any of the games. That's re- that's really good, you know. You always so, have to do that because uh, mm. Callum Lynch, that's a new character, and the, not the, even so much a Callum Lynch, and we fast better being Irish that. Sounds to me like an Irish character, you know. I mean, that's that, that, Callum Lynch. Hey, we probably yeah, sounds like, hello there. Yeah, hello there. How hello do we do Callum Lynch. Yeah, my uncle used to fucking strangle boys back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> my, my, that, father, my father owned that, Lynch's bar. That's the weird <laughs> thing. 
that's the weird thing about Assassin's Creed. Like, if if nobody ever kind of paid any attention to Assassin's Creed and just seen, like, mm. ads on TV or anything, you wouldn't expect it to be this kind of thing of it unlocks your ancestors' memories and it's kind of like it's you're honestly, in modern day uh, and then you're going back in time, essentially. It's one of the best. I remember, like, uh, I'm not a, ma- a massive gamer, but I remember uh, I thought it was kind of funny to be gaming. I, I'm not really a gamer that much anymore, but uh, when I went to uni, uh, Gears of War was out, and... Uh, uh, Rainbow Six Las Vegas was mm-hmm. out and uh, Assassin's Creed was out and Bioshock and then it was just one of these things where you know you, you take a wee overdraft out of the old bank mm-hmm. you go uh, yeah it's for uh, stu- uh, studies and uh, what it, you buy a fucking Xbox don't you like gotta you get know? them books <laughs> gotta get them books <laughs> <laughs> books <laughs> X fucking books <laughs> Oh, you didn't hear me right. That's just my accent. That's how I say it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I but I remember playing this here, uh, uh, Assassin's Creed, and just going fucking hell. That is one of the best game scripts I've ever fucking seen in my life. Yeah, it's it's on un, unreal, like you know, because the best thing about it is they can have any amount of sequels they ever want. Because what it does genetically, yeah. Well, they they've, they've proven that in the games. That exactly. Every you know, game goes somewhere else. You know, like, uh, every game goes to a different. You know, so it unlocks somebody uh, from your gene pool that was in World War Two, that was in the American Civil War, that was in the fucking Spanish Revolution, that was in fucking. You know, Jesus, I never knew this. This is this is what the game's about. What what did you think Assassin's Creed was? Not even they made that relevant, right? But I actually just thought it was about this one character who jumped jumped away fucking rooftops and strangled boys. I swear to God, like (laughs) I'm not no lying. I actually (laughs) (laughs) thought But I thought it was I thought it was a a very basic premise of just being about this one kind of tit little character, the assassin of. Is that what you always went? He's got a creep. That's why I can't say because when you showed me that photo, I was all, "Oh, he ends you." Because I I remembered that the first character, the first Assassin's Creed, was called. Enzi or Ezzy or some shit like that mm-hmm. I thought it was the same character through it that storyline or basically the storyline you're telling me is fucking massively interesting uh, because it's, it's, it's you have weird though. you have there if it is a, a success not only for the game and the film but an endless franchise you do you can go yeah. how many ways you want you know, with it like and and do you know, do you know be really it's essentially really freaky and really, really great <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite way but do you know be really mad and really freaky if, if there ended up being like I don't know if they've done this in the games or not. Maybe not. If there was two machines and if you ended up bumping into another another assassin, you know, like mm. somebody, you'd be all fuck. Well, there's you know? there's the whole thing. It's it's the assassins versus the templars. So there, there's there's a whole no, but somebody there, who right? was actually plugged in or wired in the same way, or oh. maybe that had the same gene pool, or some, maybe I don't know. I mean, that could be something that develops kind of Highlander or something. I don't know, but uh, it sort of has that Highlander <laughs> thing. You can do whatever. The f- or you like your brawler goes on it, and then it's like being John Malkovich, two people in one. Here, <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, let's not say oh, it could be an amazing franchise, and then you know already compared to Highlander because if it becomes an our Highlander, we're off for a bit of trouble. No, 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 no I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, but on the potential of first Assassin's Highlander, Creed Two, the quickening. <laughs> <laughs> see what what they have the danger of is, see th- this is the thing. I mean, we we discussed sequels before and stuff. Is what the danger happens if the first one's very successful, they're going to want to make the second one very similar to it, and they're not going to want to, you know, do no, I mad things with it. As, uh, if the first one has a kind of a, you know, a genre or a genre jumping thing to it, then happy days. If it doesn't and they stay in like ancient Rome or something, 
then they're just going to want more ancient Rome mm-hmm. because they think, oh, that's the numbers. Ah, uh, maybe. But so no, it I means think they have that time, or it needs to jump back the way the game does because the game constantly jumps to the future, and the boy's in this machine, and you're constantly wondering, is he an assassin in modern times, or is he because. At the start of the game, it, it sort of explained that this guy just works a fucking normal job, like an 85, and he doesn't know that his ancestry is fucking full of assassins. Working on Pizza Hut, just? I, I, pretty much, like an idea, and he doesn't, he doesn't really know why he was taken in. And so, this is a constantly developing story, too, so if the if the phone's kind of like that, that's going to be fucking That's actually fast because I always love that idea in general, never mind with TV shows, but especially film of, like, an anthology, like an anthology franchise, which is mm. essentially non-existent. What I think will happen is that if they actually want to follow the game lineage and have every single film a separate film in a separate place with a separate actor, if this is a success and whereas Fastbender I think is probably one of about to be the biggest actors in Hollywood. It's it's James Bond, except it makes sense. There's absolutely (laughs) no fucking way whatsoever that if Assassin's Creed is a success, they're going to do a sequel that doesn't have Michael Fassbender as that character and doesn't have the same sort of world. So but I no, think would, Hollywood it, would never it, take no, that but jump. It, it oh, can, it, no, but it can be <laughs> it can be Michael Fassbender's same character, but delving into a different ancestor's memories. Mm. So it can be it see, can be completely different, no, but well, the see, same actually, character. It's not going to be. I mean, more than likely, it shows him in the suit. It doesn't show him in the machine. So the person in the machine is probably not Michael Fassbender. Oh yeah, mm. maybe. So I I because we never actually talked about the picture. It just looks classic Assassin's Creed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know what I expected from it, but I just seen the seen the pictures oh, like uh, oh yeah like, that's, you know, that's that makes sense. <laughs> just well, these three fast benders face on. What would happen though if he went back in time like your ancestor or none of your ancestors ever like ever had like a really fucking exciting job? Like what if he went back in time your ancestors like a fucking ice cream man or something like that? That would be like the one of the indie one of the Assassin's Creed film. Assassin's Creed. It'll, it'll be during a writer strike, <laughs> and then it'll be just be sitting around just. Sharpening knives for two hours. <laughs> Goes back and he's sitting so back his ice cream. I'll tell you Aaron, about one time I fucking knifed a pope. <laughs> and all this here kind of stuff. That does happen in the game, actually. <laughs> I thought you said that, right? No, like, when I brought, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> when I brought up ice cream, man, I thought you said I knifed a poke. <laughs> <laughs> he knifed a pope with a poke. <laughs> <laughs> what a story. Okay. Get that drawing board now. Okay, and the last news is Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Schumer are developing a comedy together, which they're both writing. Mm. What do I think? I don't know. I think I could be a fucking massive ego bath. But, uh, you know, it's a strange thing, right? Because I like Jennifer Lawrence. I think she's a fucking really good actress and stuff like that there. I wasn't quite sure about her one the Oscar so young. I think I was a while little fucking Hollywood pandering. Was it Wonder's Bone she wanted for? No, it was uh, Silverline's playbook. Oh, fuck I, was she and nominated for Mother's Bone, though, wasn't she? No, she wasn't, but that's what... what She's been nominated ever since, though, baby. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what catapulted her on the kind of superstars, Mother's Bone, which is a very I good film. I thought she was nominated for Mother's Bone. Nah. Are you sure? Amy I Schumer, I, I nah. really... No, she wasn't. I really yeah. liked... Well, maybe she was, I'm not quite sure, but I I, 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 I really liked Trainwreck. I think that Trainwreck, it's funny. I put it this way, it's like... Is it good? Because I hovered over it the other night. I was thinking about going to see it, you know? Do you know what it's like? It's like you throw enough jokes at a wall... And some of them are going to stick because it's gag after gag after gag, and you have to kind of, you have to kind of praise that too for a first time kind of screenwriter in, in a feature film and trying to throw so many gags in there, and you know maybe not being a wee bit conservative or thinking, oh, will that land? Will that not land? Fair play to Amy Schumer for doing that. Now you know a good few of them don't land, a lot of them do. It's just the fact that it's maybe 
25 minutes it's a wee bit too but, 20, but, that, but that's, that's, that's Judd Apatow that's it's Judd Apatow it's and it, and it, and he never learns his lesson like, <laughs> like his, the, his films are all about 20 minutes too long it's big time like I mean like obviously Jesus Christ like I think Superbad is the only one that escaped that but even the 40 no, year old didn't direct it they didn't direct it no that was Todd something Todd Phillips it? was it Todd something Todd Phil- uh, Todd 40 year old virgin then sorry like 40 year old virgin was Todd Phillips the same director as Hangover Aye, no, uh, no, Top Falls is Hangover. I know, I think that's super bad as well. Really, aye? I, I I'm know. not quite I'll sure about that. No, I, I, I don't think you'd write that super bad. No. I think it's Todd something. Anyway, can But I anyway, yeah, all I was going to say, I think it might be Todd Smelter or something like that, if possible. But, uh, Schmelzer. I would have remembered that name. Yeah, <laughs> the only thing I would say is that it's about 20, 25 minutes too long, and then. Again, much like most John Apatow films, the endless far too oh, mushy and sentimental. We were completely wrong. Greg Matola. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck is Greg Matola? He, he directed yeah, Paul as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and Adventureland. Uh, right, okay. And they not do a lot of episodes of uh, Eastbound and Down too, or is that David Gordon Green? I always get them too mixed up. David Gordon Green. Uh, mm. he, uh, David but anyway, I, I think that the film's about 20, 25 minutes too long. I think that the ending is ridiculously over-sentimental, especially when Amy Schumer builds up her comedy for being really cynical and really modern, and then she just kind of fucking lets herself uh, undermine that by having... S- I mean, like, and it's not even just a sentimental ending. It's, like, it's 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 overly sentimental, mm. overly kind of fucking I know, mushy. I've, I've heard that about the film, that it's it's basically trying to kind of break the conventions of a romantic comedy, but then it just goes right back into it. And I wouldn't even say it so much goes back into it. It actually goes so far on it that it's 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 almost like it's cringy to watch. Then you know the way you see... We've all seen so many kind of over the top endings, their romantic comedies, and like you know the two leads kiss at the end, or like maybe they get married or something like that. And you've seen it, and you kind of cringe about it. But at the end of this one, it's like they're rolling about it. They're rolling about this basketball court, and they're fucking going each other, and there's all these cheerleaders like jumping around them and cheering for them and all, and it's just it's really too much. Uh, I don't think. Personally, that that was maybe Amy Schumer or Joel Apatow's call, I think that might have been. But at the same time, I don't know how much exactly. Bill Hader as well. No? Bill Hader, yeah, I. I don't know how much executive meddling Love there is. Bill Hader, and I have to say that. Aye, I don't know how much <laughs> executive meddling there is, and song like that. Yeah. But I don't know. I like her. I like Jennifer Lawrence, but at the same time, I don't like the fact that they're seen as like the two now kind of Hollywood at girls and it's like it almost feels for me that would they actually want to make this film with you because I know there was this photo of them uh, on a boat recently being well, best no, friends well, for, I don't know it's maybe me being overly no, it was, uh, there was a thing that uh, like Jennifer Lawrence emailed Amy Schumer like I think she had seen Trainwreck or something and just emailed her saying oh I love you I think you're hilarious and then they just started hanging out so it is kind of like a show busy relationship nah I don't know for me we've chatted about the machine I think their whole friendship and the whole thing around their hype and the whole thing around this film it just for me seems ridiculously manufactured well Well, no two two seconds right here one about friendships and all that there I mean where do these people hang out they hang out in Hollywood so of course they're going to make friends with other people from Hollywood and then another thing is that I mean, but for it, me, it's, it, it seems it, like too perfect a friendship. Uh, it well, seems like well, but uh, another thing too is that I think two of the things that actually make uh, good comedy is, is one one timing and two if the comedy comes from a good sort of uh, if it's inspired by by a human place or a human joke. This is why I don't really get Anchorman because it's not they're just sitting there and they're going keep rolling, keep rolling, 
let's come out with the most ridiculous fucking things we can think of and then the, this, we'll cut that into something and this is why I can't really uh, engage with things like Anchorman because it's too stupid and it's too it doesn't come from somewhere that's that's funny that you can relate to whereas I think that Jennifer Lawrence because she's such a good actress and she she does these really relatable characters and I think especially Amy Schumer as well maybe sometimes there was a wee bit things that got there that are a wee bit too ridiculous I think them two together i think would actually be really good for both of those reasons i i just think you're an incredibly cynical man yeah, maybe i am but the same thing mm-hmm. i said to be cynical like because don't fuck about this i actually remember seeing an interview with him Schumer about the screenplay and about it was just when it was picked up i think because he actually bought it mm-hmm. from her and I, I think it was i think it was just oh, what, what he read from it was just the just the humanity on it and stuff and stuff like this here and um I think because she was in, not an unknown, but unknown in the in that sort of film world, really. Yeah, well, besides the TV show or the sketch show on side Amy Schumer, I mean, mm-hmm. she was pretty. She wasn't that big a star in America either. Mm-hmm. She had a few mm-hmm. wee stand up spots and stuff like that. But I mean, like she's kind of coming out of nowhere with Trainwreck, and I think the fact that Trainwreck was such a big hit in the states, and I think it might be quite a big hit in mm-hmm. like the kind of UK and Ireland and maybe Europe. Uh, as a testament to their script, and as a testament to kind of how funny the film is, you know, it, uh, throughout a lot of it. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Anyway, we shall move on to topics. And again, another shot. Another shot. Poor damn shot. To the next heaven. (laughs) Here we are. I know, Furnace Mike, there's not much left, so it's going to be a wee half shot each. No, you should get a full shot for each. Nah, you shouldn't. No, I I did the math. Nah, Mickey. I did the math. You're definitely not. I'm sorry, Paul. Your math has failed you. Where is your math now? You didn't even get it. Go there. Oh, oh we dropped, we dropped. Mickey was doing his fuck all times tables. Too. Hey, whoa, whoa, <laughs> I got the small shot. Ah, fuck off. I'm, the, I'm the one cutting drink for I love, I love when you're measuring fucking shots like a sexual. Yeah, I'm taking <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the burger shot. <laughs> you take a small, small one. I, I don't know what street you're buying Actually, your sexual-olds on, but it's not the same street I'm buying my sexual-olds What on. kind of sexual <laughs> measure shots? I'll ask that one's my boot. <laughs> <laughs> Can chin we? Chin. Chin, chin. I don't know. It's about apple for me. Though. Jurassic Park. Let's fucking do this thing. Oh, baby, oh, mama. Let put hair in your chest. Should have stretched for the big bottle. Hair's in your tongue there, wouldn't it? <laughs> 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 fucking hair's in your eyeballs, just. Okay. Who's the next boy up there on the topic? Put an arm put in your um, nose, just. <laughs> what did you say? Put an arm put in your hole? In your nose. <laughs> <laughs> First um, topic. I nominate Chanko. My topic is marketing. No, oh. no, take me out. No, I always thought I could be an ad executive. Once at school, we were sat around having lunch, and uh, someone was drinking a carton of milk. It's a great story. And it said, 
There was a carton of milk, right? And it said on it, milk on the move. And I said, they should have done that milk on the move. <laughs> this, this is when I first Razor realized. sharp. This is when I first realized I wanted what? to be an adult executive. Yeah, let me tell you something. Michael Bresson shot the road on Dripper. I'm telling you, like, he Ricky, had that shit Ricky knocked down. Ricky fucking Roma doesn't have a fucking look in on this motherfucker, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mickey Roma just. Ricky Roma, Mickey fucking Bresson. You know what I'm saying? Al Pacino, slide on. <laughs> Move re- aside. I just realized that fucking milk company's going to steal that off me now. Bastards. Copyrighted Michael Bresson. Copyrighted, let's talk more movies. Yeah, it's on, it's on no, the wave. It's, it's mine. on the wave, it's so yours. it's technically copyrighted. <laughs> oh, we're talking it. We're claiming it for the podcast. We'll, t- we'll take a slice. Right, so... A small slice. Marketing? Cheese. <laughs> of your hole. <laughs> marketing. Marketing. <laughs> so, we've talked about marketing over the past couple of weeks and stuff like that. Now, a thing that I want to hark back to was, I think it was like the third podcast we talked about John Carter. Mm. John Carter, massive Disney flop. I think at one point, the most expensive film ever made it was 350 million dollars really yep 350 million dollars they make and i think it only recouped about 200 220 million but just to, just to clarify are you talking about marketing and films or how films are marketed how films are marketed all right okay yeah so john Carter had a lot of setbacks now i was just doing a wee bit of reading about it this week and i'm just going to use this as a saint's day a case study okay um a whole thing about John Carter is that obviously it was uh, based on the Evan Rice Burroughs in 1917 novel. I think it's The Princess of Mars. You know, mm-hmm. it kind of. Mm-hmm. Isn't that just called John Carter? Mars? No, the, the, the original novel, I think, is The Princess of Mars. Oh, and it's yeah. quite pulpy. And this film had been in production for years. There was like to George Lucas and John McTiernan and, and all these sort of fucking major directors. Yeah, well, the actual book's like kind of like the birth of sci fi, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's, like George, it's a big deal. George Lucas has pointed to the fact that without uh, Edward S. Bur- or sorry, Edward Rice Burroughs, there would be no Star Wars. And you know, mm-hmm. a lot of even like fucking big directors have said who are heavily influenced by sci-fi that it would not be the case without his work. So then, obviously, it was almost like this kind of sacred lore that this tome that was never actually properly made. And then when they Disney finally fucking stuck their hands down and, and, and said, right, we're going to make this. Stuck so they stuck their hands on the pants. Hands on the pants. <laughs> 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 I fucked that shirt. <laughs> Fuck you, George Lucas! <laughs> I'm gonna make that shit! <laughs> I came out of nowhere. <laughs> Continue. Mm. <laughs> the sort of strange thing as well about John Carter is that obviously it was from this rich text, it was uh, so well received, so many fucking big directors are trying to, I know, mm. they took. We certain pieces of it and implemented on their own films, their own franchises, and made that a big deal. But then when it actually came to adapting the original text of John Carter, nobody was able to do it. And it was after sort of the success of Star Wars and stuff like that that they thought, could they do it without it looking like a rehash of Star Wars? You know what I mean? Or yeah, maybe not so much a rehash of Star Wars, but in a fucking, in a very strange way, the source text then almost became the imitator. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I and it's ironic now that when you see the film, the f- the film seems like the imitator of the others. Yeah, ironic of course, of course. It's like you look at something, it's like oh, you seen that poor, but it's like it's they did it first. I also don't think it done Andrew Stanton any favors when he was comparing it to before it was released, Star Wars and Blade Runner, which are two of you know are some of the most well received films of all time. And yeah, then John fair, Carter yeah. was, it's not, a, and you know the worst thing is John Carter's not even actually a bad film. It's a good film, but it was just marketed horrifically. It's not a great film. 
It's got severe flaws, but it's a good, easy watch. But well, the pose was it called? Because originally, this is what I'm getting on the. I know what you're going to say. Title? Yeah. Okay. About the marketing, is that originally the title was going to be John Carter of Mars. Yes. Which is fair enough. Now, if you, as somebody who knows nothing about John Carter. If you see John Carter of Mars, you immediately go, oh, that sounds interesting. That's a wee bit exotic. It's a Mars. It might be a wee bit of sci-fi. It's a bit interesting. So John Carter of Mars, obviously that title's got a wild lot more intrigue and stuff like that. But then comes on the marketing thing. And this is actually fucking really interesting. Apparently some fucking Disney bigwigs or marketing executives, blah, 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 came there and do Stanton. Wankers. Wankers. Crafty bastards, you ask me. Fuck but they came there and do Stanton. And they said, apparently from our... Our, our, our polls or whatever the fuck test they do they said the word Mars doesn't incite much engagement with female audiences and we're trying to get a broad sort of appeal here so we're going to take the word Mars out and our theory as well and so Disney John Carter of <laughs> John Carter of that's more intrigue <laughs> John Carter of dot 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 them dot 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 could fucking got them millions like. but uh Another reason, and per dot, <laughs> and, uh, and that's the one that fucking pulled the bag. So an extra three million, like hundred million, lost, million that, per lost that serious amount of money. Three zeros per dot, just. But okay. another reason that uh, apparently they, they wiped out the Mars part is because the year before Disney produced obviously the animated feature Mars Needs Moms, and that was a fucking absolute atrocity box office waste for them. And they then at Disney had this stigma about Mars, and they thought that the whole lure and the whole thing about Mars was was kind of dated, and they didn't want to have Mars in the fucking title. You know what you, I mean? You weren't allowed at Mars Bar in the building. That's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> weird because the opening scene of fucking John Carter and Neil in Mars Bar, like, you stay fine, man. You know, you stay fine on some fucking well, just some lava well. Be friend, I have my fucking face off. Sitting fucking cooking a Mars bar on an alien's belly, just he put just him. fucking wraps up a Martian bap and just <laughs> <laughs> fucking eats a fucking absolute cunt at it. Eats a fucking hole at it. That's what you're saying. But they back to Mark and then anyway, by John Carr from Mars. What was about a fucking strange one? I said, I read this really interesting article on fucking uh, Hotflix or is it Hotflix? And they were kind of. Analyzing the marketing of a John Carter from Mars. Now, the head of marketing at Disney at the time was a girl called M.T. Kearney. M.T. Big M.T. Big M.T. Now, after the disaster of John Carter from Mars, now, it was never officially kind of uh, announced, but it's almost accepted that she was kind of forced out of Disney after that because it was shown that she wasn't up to the job. But the marketing for John Carter was that, first of all, they took out the Mars, which took away the intrigue. So the title was then just John Carter. Who is John Carter? Who the fuck's John Carter? You know I mean? you know I mean? no, not, not trying to do it in the jokey way. See, see if you meant who's John Carter, I would say uh, your man from ER. Aye, exactly. No, you're is that saying. Noel Wiley's character? Aye. Is he, he, he's called Carter. Aye. Is so his like first a, name John? But when you say John Carter to me, I'm just thinking, I just know him as Carter. It wouldn't matter if his first name's John or not. When I think John Carter, I think a fucking Noah Wiley's character from ER. Now, the I way I see it is that, see if we're trying to start a franchise, especially a new sci-fi kind of based franchise, the Mars in the title would have done it so, 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 yeah. you know, so, so it would have served it so much better. But then, taking out that and just making a John Carter, what franchise 
new year old has ever started a franchise with just a man's name now you would think john carter i would look michael clayton michael clayton is a kind of stripped down and they film and that works for that mm. sort of film whereas john carter you're trying to start this um, franchise in this I've, world I, i've got a franchise that, sh- that started with a man's name robocop <laughs> <laughs> got another one uh, Terminator. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hard call too because I mean, if you say, "Oh, you should have went for something more intriguing or something," you go more intriguing and you go Blade Runner, which did bomb because nobody knew what the fuck a Blade Runner was. It did. It did a. It did a wee bit, alright. No, no. When it first came out, it, it was not a success at all. I but see for and me, it, no, I, it, it's since become this thing. But I mean, no. But these marketers now aren't thinking about. They're not going. Oh, happy days! In thirty years, this is going to fucking get a bit of revenue. But They're they going, never thought that. And and for me, I I, I never I, would. And, and so f- for me, I don't get that argument. T- time has taught us that one too. The the, the title like a the title like Blade Runner ain't going to work either. So John Carter of Mars, it could have been John Carter of something. It could have been something. You know, it probably could have had the best of both. It could have been John Carter of something, or it could of have been space, or or maybe not, maybe not John Carter, but John of you know or or John. You know, it could have had the mixture of both. The Montana John Carter and the Mystica Blade Runner. Well, see, that's your title. I, I don't really, I, I don't really agree with that argument because I, I think that obviously Blade Runner for me is one of the coolest sounding fucking film titles of all time. I think it's unreal. Yeah, it's an amazing title, and that. Well, I suppose the a, Matrix. You know what I mean? That that there is a fairly abstract title, and that works. I, I, but that that worked with the tagline "What is the Matrix?" Because nobody knows what the fuck the Matrix. Yeah, but is. I mean, like that adds a bit of intriguing stuff like that. But when you look mm. at it, John Carter, it's not even that you know kind of. I know it's, it's not even it's an intriguing a, name. It's, it's, it's a boy who works in the street. Like, you know it's like a boy who works on fucking as I said earlier on pizza or something like that. Who is John Carter? Why do I want to go see his film? Another problem with the marketing, which is what this article had fixed, brought up, is the fact that in all the promotional for material for John Carter, first of all. Taylor Kitsch was in a well-received... Hold on, is Taylor Kitsch John Carter? Yeah, Taylor Kitsch is John Carter. And see, this is another main marketing flaw, which Hatflex actually brought up, is the fact that Taylor Kitsch was just off the back of Friday Night Lights, which was a well-received show in the States, but nobody Mm -hmm. actually watched it. And then the only other kind of big box office film he was in was Battleship, but he was surrounded by superstars, Liam Neeson. Was that before or after Gambit? But see, even that is a very bad part that, No, that's it, uh, it's, it's another bad thing for him. Yeah, like. it's another bad thing, and that's off a bad film. So, trying to create this character, John Carter, who nobody knows anything about, the likes of Brad Pitt, Clooney, they would have struggled to open that. Whereas, an actor like Taylor Kitsch, who has not been established whatsoever to open that, it is an impossible mountain to climb. And then, on top of that too... Every single piece of promotional material for John Carter doesn't actually fucking show you John Carter because the billboards and the posters and stuff again. Like John Carter on the poster is minute, and then it's got this big alien planet and these alien kind of white gorillas Aye. behind them that really fucking uh, tick he, up the whole poster. I like yeah. if you went to cinemas, it was that big massive cardboard spread. Yeah. And he was like really tiny, and you seen him, and and actually even the hair was just covering his face. Yeah. Who the fuck's this boy? So that's what I'm saying, but. I mean, if it's a film that big, I mean, surely shouldn't you fucking just introduce your star a wee bit too? That's what I'm saying. I mean, first of all, the fact that your main actor is not a star and you're trying to make him a star, put him at the forefront. Second of all, if you're not putting him at the forefront, then definitely do not fucking minimize him so much that you can barely see him on the poster or any promotional material, Mm -hmm. but instead you're fucking making a a couple of fucking white CGA ips 
the main fucking yeah. you know mm-hmm. selling point of your poster and third of all don't make your title John Carter if you don't got the shit they back it up because who uh, the fuck is John Carter mm-hmm. yeah. so the the thing and the reason I've went so much into that is I want to talk about per marketing when I say per marketing a film that you have seen now maybe it doesn't end up a flop as much as John Carpenter or sorry John Carpenter <laughs> as much as John Carter but if you, topic. Yeah, it's a different topic. Yeah. We, we've talked about Hammond off like. It's me Friday on Slapper, does that? Yeah. Hey, put your fucking. Actually, put your Disney biopic at John Carpenter. But anyway, that's besides that point. <laughs> It'd be absolutely unbelievable. It'd be the exact same thing. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> but my question to you is Have you ever seen a film that you thought through the promotional material for the trailers, through the, you know, like the kind of press releases, blah, 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 that you thought was going to be completely something different than what the film actually was? Yeah, one that kind of sprung to mind for me with like kind of mismarketed and stuff is uh, Edge Tomorrow. Yeah. That was massively uh, uh. kind of mismarketed. I think, uh, I think Shan, you actually like the name Edge Tomorrow, but I think just changing the name Edge, Edge Tomorrow from All You Need Is Kill is just, it just seems like a really bland title, Edge Tomorrow. It just, it, I don't know all you all you need to kill, even though it does it doesn't even really tell you anything about it. It just there, there it's more of an interest. Live, live day repeat was a title know, that, for a while, That's what it? they changed it the after Edge of Tomorrow, right. which I do think is probably a better title than Edge of Tomorrow as well. But even like in the trailers, it was like they were trying to put it as this kind of existential kind of what is life kind of thing. It's not. And like even like they had this kind of <laughs> they had this kind of music in the trailers like. Is this just the end? or something? Like, it, was, it was really odd kind of music and all on it. And I heard people like I've I never seen Oblivion, but uh, people were saying like it it lo- nearly looked like Oblivion too. Like it was kind of this yeah. uh, kind of existential like I sci-fi kind that, of thing. Or that something. really doesn't do the film any favors because it was Tom Cruise and it was a sci-fi epic and it was essentially about fighting these fucking huge aliens. And it was only released I think so in like ten months after Oblivion. Nah, that a while a while of people seen. It is essentially being the same film, only we a slightly tweaked narrative, yeah. which wasn't the case whatsoever. What do you think is the most appropriate title? But I actually, from seeing it, but I actually think Love Day Repeats probably the most Le- appropriate I love title. Love Day Repeats actually for a what, good what title you're for getting it. from it. Yeah, I think it's probably the most appropriate. Is that it? It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, gloss anything over. It's just like it's this type of film. Yeah, it, Live Day Repeat. I think it has. I don't it like has the title really, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's I th- I what it's delivering. It, I think it has a bit more edginess than. Edge of Tomorrow. The Edge of Tomorrow just sounds bland as fuck. I, to I me. don't know because I think Love Day Repeat is a wee bit too sloggy because I think Edge of Tomorrow basically says the very same thing in a subtler way than what Love Day Repeat does, but at the same time, it is a wee bit more mature. And like Edge of Tomorrow is a sort of a mature sci fi in a way. Now, fair enough, it is all about the action, it's all about fucking shooting aliens and then obviously repeating. The timeline you've done before, but and two uh, balls out action. Aye, and aye, and at the same time too. And I mean, it's not about that. I mean, fair enough. It's not all about balls out of bad action, and it you know it it does have many many elements of that. But at the same time, it's just it's 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 a really nice film which really uses the kind of repeating timeline thing. They kind of drum up uh, a sort of dramatic or or narrative purpose because like and spoilers for Edge tomorrow. It's it's the end where he finally sees Emily Blunt again, and he realizes that after like two hundred, you know, two thousand, two hundred thousand attempts, yeah. they finally got to the end, and it's it's one of the most beautiful last scenes that I've ever seen, where it's just Tom Cruise crying, looking at her, and yeah. it's like, oh, that's that's an amazing way end. So, 
it's not just all about action, you know, and the characters, because it's built up, because they're constantly repeating the same timeline, and they're getting to know each other. The most heartbreaking thing is that Tom Cruise knows Emily Blunt inside out every time he repeats that timeline, and he loves her so much, but every time he meets her, she doesn't know him whatsoever. He's a complete stranger there. And I think that's heartbreaking. So then when it comes to them, when they finally got there, it's like a... And I just think that love, therapy, or especially... What is it? All you need is kill. All you need is kill. I think that's, that's the too slacky. I think that undermines uh, how well written Plus and how mature the film is. A Beatles song. They're like, oh, fuck off. Ah, exactly. There's some mass marketed films. Uh, it's not. It's not one of the greatest ones in history. That go, oh, that was no mass market. But it's one of these things where, I'll, you know, anybody that's a big Jack Black fan, you know, you've seen High Fidelity and then you've seen Orange County and yeah. you've seen that he's great in it and. You've seen his other stuff too. Like, I mean, he's, he's a great dramatic actor as well. There's no, no two ways about it. But one film that was seriously mismarketed and just was not the film that was told this in the cinema was Be Kind Rewind. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that that, that was an indie drama about a struggling BHS store. Mm-hmm. And then because Jack Black you know, has notoriously kind of came on and fucking chewed up a scenery. And, and been slapsticky. I just stole a film. Uh, like High Fidelity. I mean, like, that was a, exactly. a, that was a very well-considered Andy film, but then obviously Jack Black was a kind of runaway star, and that's actually what made Jack Black's career. Yeah. So, in a strange way, High Fidelity, a low-run Andy film, Jack Black stole a show and became a superstar, but then a while up he'll point the fact that Another low run indie when Jack Black was a superstar, became Rewind because it was mass marketed, kind of killed his career, but which is quite interesting. Uh, exactly, because I remember coming, you know, I don't think it was one thing, because Danny Glover's in it, and Danny Glover is kind of the, the heart of that film, mm. you know, and, and uh, it was this scene where he, he went away on a trip for a while and then he came back, and it was just, there's all this lovely shots of him getting this train to wherever he's going, and I was like, this is really beautiful, but they're, they're taking a wild lot of time in it. If this is meant to be seen yeah. as a comedy, they're taking an awful lot of time to, to show this side of the story. Yeah. Because I was going under it with the head that this is a comedy, and it's it's not. And it, it just really annoyed me that, you know, if I had been told this is just a wee indie with a wee bit of comedy on top of it, I would... and. It's that scene at the end where I think they show a film on the street and going, this ain't a film about, you know, wh- what market at all. It's a film about people that just love cinema. Yeah. And a film, and it actually, and I've rewatched it since and went, this is actually a nice wee film. And I like that point you make as well, is that if I would have went in there with the mentality that this was this or this was an indie film or this was a slapstick comedy, I think there's a lot to be said about that because it's what they say. You would like to go on to a cinema and think, right, I've got a blank canvas here, mine now, and I'm going to watch a film and I'm going to appreciate it for what it is. But if you go on to a film and you've seen marketing and promotional material and you've seen things that kind of point you in the direction of what the film's going to be, the reason that you've actually bought the ticket or bought the you know, rented the DVD, bought the DVD to see that film is because you're in a certain mood to watch that sort of film. So if you've kind of bought on to watch a exactly, slapstick exactly. and then it becomes that it's not that, it's this actually mm. heartfelt mm. kind of indie drama then even though the film is good and you would appreciate it any other time because you expected something completely different, it actually makes you maybe even temporarily resent the film in a way. And then it's maybe only on second viewing that you actually appreciate the film for what it it was originally intended to be. Maz Dev is is, kind of the the lead in it. And that's that's another strange thing because obviously Maz Dev's not an actor. He's done a few acting, but obviously he's a, he's a, a musician by trade. 
and that's an our failure of that film. It's it's outside of the marketing, but Maz Def and Jack Black just don't really have any sort See, of chemistry whatsoever. Ma, They're ma, two ma, completely Def different people. And and uh, Danny Glover are the are the two you know. They're the two central characters for me. Mm-hmm. Whenever you watch it, Jack Black and all that stuff about remaking the films, because because I think it was around the time of the the, the YouTube thing and out there, and people are doing all this stuff on YouTube thing. They made such a big deal about this, but that was a big massive selling yeah, point they, of the film. They had to re-record all the films. Exactly, uh, and it's just it's one of these things that it was definitely a completely secondary story of that film. Yeah. You know, it, it yeah. was funny and it was brilliant, and. It should be marketed as as a film about you know trying to save a business and stuff. And then if you went it, the jewels of that film would have been watching Emmons record that film. Whereas that that was that was out there in front. Yeah, yeah. And it actually had nothing nothing really to do with the film. Yeah, it's exactly. Just right. that they they just showed you all the comic relief and didn't show you no drama. And it just it actually is a really good film. Yeah. You know, if you watch it, it's just as a really nice. Uh, heartwarming drama and then there's a bit of fucking out there comedy on it if you've never seen the traders don't bother watching the traders just go watch just it watch be it. kind your wine watch it as a fucking drama about a boy trying to save a business and there's a bit of out there comedy on it yeah, there's a bit of levity in there about like fucking recreating or sweden as they say in the film uh, ghostbusters <laughs> or something like that sweden <laughs> and i mean that is what they try to drum up through like the the, the sort of advertising for the film as 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 they show what it was, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? That it's basically about these boys who really create films and have a bit of crack and then they're investigated and all this here, but that's not the case whatsoever. You're exactly right. It is just a film about, it's almost like a, f- a film about two fellows who love film. They're trying to save uh, their shop so they can obviously save a community in a way. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll move on to our next topic. Heron. Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was just a. It was a thing I sort of thought about a while ago. Um, it was. It was I was working at uh, the the movie pilot job, and I, I I was talking with a friend called uh Will Wharton, who works there as well. And Will Wheaton. Uh, Wharton. Oh, okay. <laughs> w H A R K Y. Remember that shit. No, <laughs> good man. Good. Thought you were talking about that boy from Stand by Me. No, it's not. <laughs> well, it could be, but uh, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, no, we were just having a, a thing because I think because uh, especially in, in that sort of publication, a, a lot of it is uh, one of their main traffic is, is superhero films, mm-hmm. and we were just discussing about origin stories, and we're getting fucked off that every time they reintroduce a hero, there's an origin story and this kind of thing. That's something I thought about for a long time, and it's something I really, really like. Is even you know when I write something, I kind of go. Should I should I just leave that out and leave that out and leave that out and because the more you leave out on the origin story, the more when you actually decide to start the story, the richer the history you have to pull on it. Mm. So it's it's almost in my head, kind of thinking that right, write a really strong first script, don't use it, and then write the second one, and then use that as your first film for the character. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just. Because there's, I mean, especially now we're getting saturated with a fucking Batman story. We're gonna see it for the third time in twenty years or something like yes, this here. This fucking origin story, and you know, it sounds yeah. like this here, and not 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 just that. Don't show it because we haven't, you know, because we've seen it so many times, and oh, we're introducing it to a new generation. That's fine, okay, that's acceptable. But I just think that uh, when there is story there that suggests a history, or when a character comes in that suggests a history. 
you automatically just perk in your seat. You kind of you can you kind of lean in. You tune in a bit more. You know, if there's a history established there, I mean, it was something that uh, I was thinking about the new Jack Reacher as well. Even is because I think it's Jack Reacher two. It's actually it's picking a book. I th- I think the book's going to be No Way Back, which is the fourth in a series of uh, it's the fourth in a series of uh, four stories, but they weren't chronologically uh, right next to each other. They were just over the series of a Jack Reacher story, but it's yeah. pulling on characters that have been introduced a few times, and I really, really like that kind of stuff because that automatically adds richness and history. You don't have to keep introducing people. You know, you just, you just like it when a character walks into the room and you go, "Them two have met before." Yeah, and I, r- I fucking love that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I'm just thinking that you know how you you know, sh- I, I just think it, it definitely should just be the future of mature and sophisticated screenwriting. Like for example, I mean, even. They've already done it, like, and then one of the best characters ever in fucking event that was Indiana Jones. Yeah. He, he was, or, he, he already was who he was. Yeah, he you know, just was going just ahead was. doing his and thing. And never right? he had an origin story. Aye. Yeah. Well, well, he did, but they only introduced it in the third film. Yeah, which is the weakest. Every, everybody wanted it. Everybody mm. wanted it. And third isn't the weakest. Way, I think Temple's the weakest, but anyway. But uh, no, I'm a fuck. Crystal Skull's the weakest. Yeah, well, I, 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 well, no, we, we weren't cutting. I that. know we're not, <laughs> we're not counting the first three. Like, I, I called it a trilogy. Anyway, but, uh, <laughs> I, no, but because it's just it it's just a, a great thing in the third one where you just you finally get that satisfaction of going, oh fuckers, young, whatever, you know, and then Jones and River Phoenix too, one of the fucking best actors of 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 his time, like you know, and uh, it just has that satisfaction. It just it, I just find origin story so fucking boring. Like, why can you not? And you know. And this is actually one of the things I think specifically, uh, it's maybe why Tom Cruise picks the parts that he picks. I think it's very rare that you see an origin story with Tom Cruise. Like. I know you you've pointed out before, like Tom Cruise never does an origin story. He doesn't seem to do it. And I think it's a fair point as well. Um, I know it's it, but it's it's a positive thing that like you're just meeting this character and there's clearly like a back history there and that you don't know about and maybe you'll get wee snippets of it throughout the film and that's way more interesting than just seeing it all laid out for you bare like you know i mean just put the langer on the table like you know i mean mean, you see the bulge in the trousers but you don't know how big it is you know what i mean i completely agree on mickey it's a it's a sort of strange thing right see if you have a character presented to you in a film and that character's interesting and he's well wrote and he's well performed, then if you're engaged with that character already and the world that he's in and maybe the, the, the struggles that he's facing, you know, be it like a fucking alien invasion or be it like, you know, a, a kind of fucking drama about mm-hmm. trying to fucking get his boy up or something like that there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like fucking, it doesn't matter who he was before that film started because you really know who he is when you're watching that film. I think that the origin story is a cheap way a lot of the times of trying to mine up extra drama that doesn't need to be there. Aye. Because if a character is good enough, then he's there in front of you. Whereas I think one of the main places and probably the main place that you'll see an origin story is the superhero film. And I almost think... It, that actually, it actually, this is why I think superhero films are unsophisticated yes. as a fucking art form. Yes. Because... Every single fucking one of them has a fucking origin story. Of course, well, this, is, this is why I'm actually looking forward to Batman and Superman because they, I know we've might have seen it in the trailer, but he's he's fifty or something, isn't it? Uh, but the, but, the, but the reason you the reason I mean? I'm saying as well is the 
I think the the reason that there is so many origin stories within superhero films, and it's not just to get to the plot of ADB, I think it is almost just harking back to the sort of golden age of comic books, in where you almost had to spoon feed a character in the fifties mm. and sixties to your reader or to your viewer, mm. and the fact that this is how this character got to here instead of like actually letting the viewer imagine what happened, and I personally think that's way more interesting. See if you see yeah. a character for the first time, like you're saying Jack Reacher, or even the likes of Snake Pluskin from uh, you know Escape Escape mm. from New York. He's one of the, like one of the most interesting things about Snake Pluskin in Escape from New York is that you hear all these uh, generals here kind of coercing them and they go on to New York and fucking, you know, saving the prison. I've heard about this. I've heard, I, about, I've heard yeah. about this and I've heard about that. And there's all these wee incidents that you don't really get a, a, a lot of background knowledge in and you don't see an origin. And that makes them so much more interesting because it's as so they say... too. Exactly. Like, the fact that you don't know about his origin adds mystique, it adds intrigue, and it adds so much more depth to that character because mm-hmm. I guarantee... If they would have presented Snake Plissken in that film, um, you know, going on to New York, and you knew everything about his past, you know, about him being in the like the high incarceration fucking jail and stuff like that, and they actually spoon fed you what happened, mm. he would be nowhere near as interesting. See, this is the thing. It's the thing is like you know, the less you know about somebody, the more intriguing they are. Of course, it really is, and it's like the best thing about you hearing all these things about Plissken is that. Half of it's probably true, half it's not, maybe all of it's lies. It's informing you know, it's it's, like, a, it's it, it, the fact that he's a bad bastard. It's informing the legend of him. Yeah. It's not informing who he really is. And exactly. that's, that's the best fucking thing you can do with a character. It's just like, so whatever you're hearing, you know, that, that, that's sort of getting you into the kind of atmosphere of what people, the enigma around this character, what, what who is he? You know what I mean? There's a fucking really interesting one as well, and we're actually literally going from Snake Plissken to Willy Wonka. But, right, <laughs> and I swear to fuck, right, I read this a couple of months back, is that when Gene Wilder, who we're chatting about earlier for Young Frankenstein, first agreed to play Willy Wonka and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, he pushed the executives and the producers to have the scene, and you know, it is the now famous scene of yeah. where Willy Wonka's first presented, and he's walking down the courtyard to greet the fucking five kids who've got the golden tickets and stuff like that. Aye. And he's all fucking kind of feeble looking and then he does the forward roll. And when you look at that, now it's iconic because you think, oh, well, it just makes Gene Wilder look cookie and stuff like that. But Gene Wilder actually had a, a way more, I would say, in-depth in reason for, for wanting that in there. When he wanted that there, I can't remember who the executive or the producer was, but mm. they asked Gene Wilder, why do you want that scene? It's a nonsense scene. We could present you fucking paragliding and we could, you know, make you look amazing. We can make you do whatever you want. Why do you want to sort of look, you know, crippled and then do a frontward roll, which actually isn't that engaging? And Gene Wilder's response is one of the best things I've ever heard. He said, because as soon as I do that, nobody will know when I'm lying and when I'm not. And, that's, and I thought, that's amazing. That's the whole thing about that character. And that's character the whole then. thing about Willy Wonka, especially for that film, which is, when you look back at it as a modern viewer, it's a quite, dark take yeah. on Roald Dahl's takes and Gene Wilder plays it to perfection because you're thinking is Willy Wonka a fucking absolute hermit psychopath mm. or is he just this really engaging sort of eccentric yeah. you know what I mean and, but just 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 to bring up something that just falls on from the air uh, <laughs> John Slattery in Wet Hot American Summer yeah. uh, first day of camp he comes in the exact same way but fails on the frontward <laughs> roll. <laughs> he walks in all crippled, and then he can't do the frontward roll and just stands up pretty quick. <laughs> but um, 
Now, what you what you're saying about origin stories and that like you see them most predominantly in like superhero films. Kevin Feige, like head of Marvel, like he's actually said they're moving away from hor- uh, horror stories, origin stories, and like uh, like Doctor Strange isn't going to have an origin story, and they said like Spider Man has been Spider Man for a while, like he's not going to have an origin Doesn't story, and even Black Panther, Black Panther is being introduced in uh, Captain America: Civil War, so you might get a slight origin story in another film for him, but then once it comes to Black Panther, you already know him, he's already established character, so you're not going to have an origin mm-hmm. story. But the going the thing of origin story, like an origin story you already know, is that uh, the Spider Man reboot of the Amazing Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Everybody at that point pretty much knew Spider Man's origin, but they were redoing it over again. And me and Jan have talked about this in the past, <laughs> uh, but I've I've seen it more recently, so I I kind of uh. remember more the exact phrasing of the big thing in Spider Man was. With great with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. And so they try to say that again in the Amazing Spider Man, but in a slightly different way, so it's not ripping off the the whole phrase. And what Martin Sheen says, is it no? Hey, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Yeah. yeah. What Martin Sheen says is, he's he's talking to Peter about his dad, and he's all, your your father had a belief, and his belief was if you had the power to do something to help somebody. He believed you had a duty to do that thing. He's <laughs> like, you just wanted Andrew Garfield. Logan was like, so would great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> it's it's so ridiculous. Like I I I actually really liked the Amazing Spider Man, but just that whole thing of crowbarring that thing and but trying to say it in a different way, you get the fucking thesaurus out. Like, it's just it's ridiculous. Like, and they really should have found some other way of just tell. Maybe just having him be in Spider Man at the beginning or whatever, or maybe having a few flashbacks or something. And the thing I don't but get like, as well. Because you are just waiting for Uncle Ben to die in that film yeah. as well, like, you know what I mean? And it actually, for me, because everybody's so aware of who Spider Man is and, and the character, it doesn't drum up, especially with Uncle Ben dying, which is always going to be affecting because you never like to see a lovable character die on screen. Especially Martin. But Gene. especially Martin Sheen, he's a lovely man, but like massive fucking teeth in that film. <laughs> His teeth are off a fucking church in that fucking film. I say he's got a new set of dentures that just do not fit. But anyway, uh, you never just like don't quit. <laughs> 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 you never, you never like to see a nice, you know, a nice character fucking die on screen, blah blah blah. But it's the fact that you know what's coming. So, and it's weird that Hollywood producers keep going back to this because I, fair enough, they're trying to uh, reintroduce it to a new audience. But let's be honest with you. It's kind, of the, it's kind of the end of the equation. Aye. It's just like they get to the point now where the fucking the glass has gone dry and they're kind of going, Art, maybe we can't just do the exact same story over Precisely. and over again. But it's one of them ones is that, yeah, why do you need to reintroduce this character? Because let's be honest with you, the last time that Spider-Man was out as a franchise, the kids who first seen as 12 are now only like fucking 24. And even the kids who seen as like 5, they still know the origin story are like fucking 12 or 13. Aye, like. and they're still watching the DVDs yeah. and circulating the fucking tips. But the strange thing is, is that, and this is what I don't get about Hollywood producers just rehashing origin stories when they're not needed, is of course... The stereotype about Hollywood producers, it's always, it always has to be new, it has to be fresh, you have to do this thing, you have to engage the viewer and stuff yeah. like that. The fact that they keep going back, they show the yeah. same narrative, the same storyline countlessly, which just ticks up. Mm. You would usually say about the first 30 or 40 minutes of a film, yeah. it just seems wistful as fuck. Okay, we'll move on to my topic this week. My topic stemmed from an interaction I had with my girlfriend, Jill. And we were sat on the sofa... And uh, so fiance, your fiance, Jill. Oh, yes, fiance, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Get it right. I don't like saying fiance. 
Well, I don't know. You know what I mean? You've luckily set a date for a wedding, like, so you're going to have to fucking let reality smash you in the yeah, fucking yeah, teeth. You fucking step up. You've actually asked me to be your best man, luckily on this podcast last week. All right, So then. fucking catch yourself on, Mickey. Gross my, out of balls. My fiancé. Fuck. Oh, why's up, fiancé? Fiancé. What a fucking dickhead. And I'm going to go back. You mean your girlfriendy? Always anyway. <laughs> <Why is> up. <laughs> Me and Jill were sat in the sofa, right? Like French, Mickey, baguettes and all. And uh, S- Suki was just bitten about the floor as she's wanted to do. She's a dog, by the way. You dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, J- Jill kind of jerked over the side of the sofa, and she was all, "Oh, S- Suki's like eating some kind of bug or spider or something like that." And I was like, "What?" It's like I've ne- I've never actually like witnessed her like kill like a living thing. <laughs> it was weird. It's like, because I kind of jerked over and she was like chewing away. And I was like, all right, that's weird. But then, like, Suki like ra- ran out of the living room then. And Jill jerked down the side of the sofa again. And then the thing that she was chewing on is still there. She's like, oh no, she didn't actually eat it. And I just grabbed Jill in the shoulder and was like, she's killing for sport. <laughs> <laughs> and it just kind of made me think of. Has there anything? Has there ever been a time in your life that where I've killed for sport? Where you've killed for sport? <laughs> no. <laughs> has there ever been a time in your life where, like, like, uh, like a movie premise or like, like a movie trope has kind of it's it's like happened to you and it's like it's Jesus, fe- Jesus Christ, my life is a movie. It's fair its way in their life. Yeah, like, it's you, like like something uh, like if if it was in a movie, everybody would be all like, "Why is all that fucking happens to everybody?" Like, <laughs> you, you've been in a situation where you thought, "Fuck, that is a film that I've seen before." Yeah, actually, well, uh, do you want to well, go first? I, no, I have one, but I've seen The Exorcist many times, right? <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> it's just, no, basically, Heron's going to say, I've seen The Exorcist, but see me with a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> Head spun I've, little. <laughs> I've threw up on my bed a few myself times. down stairs, <laughs> but I always pick myself up after, like. Anytime Heron has a hangover, the fucking two local priests come around just. Hangover, it's all. One of them goes out the window. The like. power of Christ compelled you! Aye. Aye. I throw on the one at price and then I fucking fuck him out. I want this. What do you want that? And then the other one just bill all gone fucking fuck off the masses. Just... But uh, no, I, it, it was actually, it was one of these things. It was actually from, I think you know when they re-released the Ex- Exorcist and it was just like, oh, it was bound. It was fucking. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, when they re-released it in VHS back in the day, like, you sure, know. mind I was saying earlier on about fucking my mates and while on the horror films and all that there, uh, it was around the time that The Exorcist was having the twenty fifth anniversary, so it was like nineteen ninety eight, and I was nine, uh, and I was in the papers and all that there. So my man re-rented it, and I watched it, and I shit my fucking togs. Uh, I had to sleep a light on, I think, for at least two months. Re- they re-released it in the summer though. Oh like, no, no, that's what I'm saying. The twi- the twenty fifth anniversary was ninety eight. They re released it in the cinema. Maybe that I seen then the thirtieth. Maybe because it was uh, there's like ads all over TV and stuff. But I remember there, there's one point I, I can't actually remember it in the film. It's when the fucking priest is bitten a fuck out of someone with like a broom or a crucifix. Just or, or it's on. He's just going mad. It's just like whatever. It's one of those really intense fucking shots of him. And it, it just looks like he's baiting a fuck out of something with like a broom or something like that there. And it's just like, there's definitely something evil that he's trying to fuck out. Because you see the, <laughs> the wee priest collar, right? Be honest, when I rewatched the film, I've never seen that moment uh, again. Or, 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 or maybe it's just it's, it's out of context, so I don't remember it, right? But I swear to fuck, right? I was lying, I was lying on my belly watching that TV. His sister was up in a chair next to me. 
And I was sitting there just, you know, just lying down, having my crack. And I remember what, you know, I can't remember what I was watching. It was probably sound off the E channel. That's why I don't remember. Because <laughs> she watches shit. How long ago was this? Oh, this is about maybe five, six years ago. All right. <laughs> so, not, well, no, it wouldn't have been E channel because we didn't have Sky on. So it was probably Sahan fucking shit. She's, usually she Some watches sort of a wild pile cable. of shit. Like, I, you know, I do not rate her opinion. As long as all. <laughs> she, she, she tried to make me turn, turn off the tree of life. They watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and I told her to get the fuck out of the room. Like you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I says I'm watching the end of this here. Yeah, fucking fruit. <laughs> I, I, th- I think both are valid on a comment on our side. <laughs> they are. Right. Well, anyway, whatever happens, anyway, we were sitting there watching some fucking shit in the TV, anyway, and uh, working away watching the TV, and literally out of the bottom right on my fucking eyeball, I just see this big fucking dirty spider on a course, right? And I just fucking just went, Jesus Christ. Just grabbed the first thing I could find, just found a big dirty magazine, wrapped it up really fucking tight, and I just went, you're fucked. <laughs> fucking <laughs> went for it all of me. And I swear to fuck, while I was doing it, I got reminded of that shot of the exorcist that I boy beating the fuck out of something dead evil. And I seen myself and I seen your man's eyes and he was a priest. He was doing like an exorcism. I was just beating a lane out of a fucking spider. <laughs> something about literally about 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 the seventieth of the size of me. Probably less. I was fucking going to town on him. I just thought, Jesus, but I have to say, animal cruelty and all that there, you know, whatever. I'm happy he was dead, like. <laughs> I'm happy he was fucking... He checked out, like. At my hand. At my hand. At my shin. Right, so mine, anyway. Uh, a couple of years back, went down to Donegal, which is in the fucking, like, west coast of Ireland, for all our non-Irish listeners. Beautiful place. It's the wilds of Ireland, as they say. So, uh, my friend, and all the enough, the composer of this show, Ryan Scruff McGargle, had the brainwave. He was all... Uh, let's go to this fucking secluded island six miles off the coast of Donegal called Tory Island. And we're like, fuck it, but mad. We'll get the boat fuck out it. there. A wee bit fucking different and stuff like that. We went out, right? Different. Now, <laughs> as we were going out there, Scroff was saying to me, this is the only place in Ireland that still has a king. They still have a monarchy. <laughs> now, they still have a monarchy in Tory Island. They are literally rooted in 1600, they have not developed as a culture in any way whatsoever. So I was like, ah, fuck off, that's a bad crack. Must be. <laughs> anyway, I, but I was all, I fuck off, that's a bad crack. The whole kingship, <laughs> the whole kingship thing must be a bad crack. Fucking ways up. That must be ceremonial at best. <laughs> Wrong. Absolute nonsense. So, pulling up under the pier of Ireland, and you know what, hey, I should even fucking, I should even assume the drip, because even on my way to Ireland, it presented itself as a horror film, because we were on this wee dinky boat, and there was about 14 people in the boat, and we were crashing off these waves, up and down, and up and down. They, and all, they, they all look like fucking mad bastards ah, they look well. like They look like a bunch of boys that are fucking straw like dogs, or something like that. You just leave DiCaprio on the way to Shutter Island? Essentially, so I... Just like, right. every, every one And of I had a split personality at this point, because <laughs> I've been drinking fucking vodka all day, like... Every one of them. One eye's going to the shop, and one's come back by change. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, fast approaching to Ireland, and you hear it over the fucking, over the radio, Oscar Bravo, Oscar Bravo, full delta, full delta, and all this hair crack. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all Oscar Bravo, Oscar Bravo, there's a storm approaching to Ireland, there's a storm approaching to Ireland, so that already set the scene for this was a place of mirth. (laughs) 
and that's repute, you would say. So we get the trail and the fucking waves are crashing off and it's a dull fucking typical Irish day and it's pashing down and you get onto the pier. First of all, a thing that threw me, and this was actually a kind of a sidebar and something, there was a dolphin playing with a dog in the pier. Like actually, like two muckers. Like that an actual... Delightful. No, it was delightful, but this was soon upset. So I came off the, the boat. The dolphin died, didn't it? <laughs> I stabbed him. But <laughs> got off the boat. And there he was himself, the man, the muffler legend, Patsy Dan Rogers, the king of Toreland, came down shaking every man, woman and child by the hand as they got off the boat. And we're all, right, we're going to go up the top island now and camp out because we're just here for a bit of madness and they fucking drink a lot of cans and stuff like that there. And that was happy days. So we went that night, set up camp. We went to the one bar on the island, which is aptly named The Bar. <laughs> so that was all well and good. But then it was only the next morning when I woke up after, you know, without the haze of alcohol, I looked about this island and I realised this island is the wicker man. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm all, I thought to myself, I've come to this island, it's just off the coast, there's no police, there's no ambulance service, there's no authority whatsoever, the only authority is the king, Patsy Ann Rogers, much like Christopher Lee in the wicker man. So essentially, if you upset Patsy Ann in any way, he could just tell his boys they fuck you off the back cliffs and you'll never be seen again. Yeah, I'm I'm kinda I'm kinda not wanting to go there for my stag do now, Sean. It's amazing. You have <laughs> to meet Patsy Ann. It, it was a suggestion. It's fucking unreal. Apart from the fact there's no authority and they may literally throw people off the back end of that cliff. <laughs> I think it's right. Like yeah, Dan's getting fucked off a cliff. There's right. a barrel shot. Hey, the barrel went to a clock here, Grant. Nah, that's right, son. Um <laughs> No, there I I I've I've a wee small wandy right as well. Uh, it was it was kind of when I was a lot younger, maybe like eight, nine, ten, something about there. I was sitting outside my bedroom, what I shared with my two older brothers, who are like ten and nine years older than me. Passing Amazon, Tabby. Passing Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was I was doing a wee Steve McQueen out, out, outside my my bedroom, just bouncing his tennis ball against the the cupboards that was across from my bedroom. And so it was just bouncing his tennis ball back and forth. I had recently seen The Great Escape. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was bouncing his tennis ball, but uh, one one of the cupboards, what was across from my bedroom, the the door never closed. Like the wee catch was like broke or whatever. So it never closed. And I bounced the tennis ball and it went into that cupboard that was open. And these cupboards were bare, were basically like like the cupboard where you put things when you're done with them. Like, it's all old coats, all old shoes, all old toys, books, everything that you're basically done with and not throwing away. You just put them in this cupboard. And this tennis ball bounced into this open cupboard. I've never found that tennis ball. (laughs) (laughs) 18 years later, I've never found that tennis ball. You say Narnia? I believe in the world of Narnia or wormholes or time travel or something, uh, that tennis ball went somewhere that day. There's, <laughs> there's, there's this Put your fuck on mother. You didn't even catch on it. All in all, chatting about like film, you know, uh, sort of like art, I'm a in life. Uh, back in the day, my mum and my dad broke open stuff like that there. And oh, then I was rabbit. I was sitting in the house one day and I was fucking watching the Power Rangers. And then this nanny came into my house. It was a spot of my dad. But she had this fucking wig on. I was like, that's, that's, that's definitely my dad. That's definitely my dad. My mom was all, no, no, it's not. This is, this is Mrs. Dad. 
I, I knew you weren't getting through that. Ooh, uh, ooh, uh. This is Mr. Daffire. <laughs> so so Couldn't ma- even come up with a better name. So my ma was all, this is Mrs. Daffire. My ma had not clue. Uh, this was definitely my dad with a pair of fucking jokes. Oh, you couldn't even say Mr. or Mrs. Suspicious Fire or something. <laughs> 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 okay, and we'll move on to recommendations. And I'll blast through mine first because we've actually already talked about it before. It's called What If Sean Coyle brought up before. You. I've I recommended that before. No, you, no, you've seen it before and then you recommended it to me and now I'm recommending it to the audience. Bam! Thank you very much. Bush. It's uh, Danny Radcliffe, Zoe Kazan, uh, Adam Driver, and it's actually the first time I've seen Adam Driver in anything. Like, yeah. I, like I know he's in Gears and he's he's done a few films and stuff like that, but I've never actually seen him in anything. Mm-hmm. I actually really like him. Kind of bodes well for him being uh, Kylo Ren in uh, Star Wars. Super excited. Think he's going to be awesome. It seems like all all the kind of baddies they have in the new Star Wars are really tall because they have uh, Brianna Tarth, Tarth yeah. uh, from Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah, she's in it as well. Like, they're all really tall for some reason. But, uh, yeah, What Ifs is really good kind of romantic comedy, but it's kind of, it's not really a romantic comedy. Yeah. It's and a deconstruction, what, but then I just don't like the fact that it becomes a sort of reconstruction towards the end. What so I, is it what, what I actually really liked about it is just the actual banter between Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels really natural, and it kind of made me think about just Daniel Radcliffe as an actor. Like, because if you see him in interviews and stuff, he does kind of have this awkward energy about him. Yeah. And he kind of brings that into that film. And it's just like, is he actually a good actor or is that just him generally? But I, it, it really worked in this film. He has this kind of awkward energy about him. And I think it really works. And I, it made me really like him. And uh, yeah, it's a really good film. And watch it. Probably. Good. <laughs> My out. recommendation is Barton Fink by the Coen Brothers, 1991. I think that it may be the most underrated film there is. I I think it won the Grand Prix at the Cannes Film Festival many, many moons ago. It's just a very, very interesting take on writer's block. The interesting thing about that film is that it was the Coens having writer's block between writing uh, Muller's Crossing and trying to write their next big feature. Uh, Or no, sorry, actually, it was their their writer's block trying to write Muller's Crossing. Uh, So they wrote a film about writer's block. And it's John Turturro. It's him as a, a 1940s kind of thespian playwright who's then suckered into the, the sort of vapid Hollywood studio system and he's expected to write these uh, scripts that are kind of beneath them. That he's expected to write this wrestling picture that has no depth whatsoever and because he's so pretentious and because he thinks so highly of himself he can't bring himself to do it. But then it's almost like his exploration of uh, 1940s Hollywood and then it ends up with him meeting this uh, serial killer who is John Goodman who lives in the hotel room next to him and it's just... An unbelievable shot, like all Coen Brothers films are. Unbelievable written, like all Coen Brothers films are. Uh, exploration of a, like the almost like the studio system and uh, artistry in general. And it's just a really, really, really good watch. Awesome. Karen. Calm here. I'm going to recommend a slightly left field one. And most people will probably hate me for this. But uh, it's a film called Killer Elite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just even from the title, so... That's is dead. that is that De Niro and Statham? Yeah, and Clive Owen. But is uh, Clive Owen in that one as well. Clive Owen, Clive Owen, uh, same person. But uh, <laughs> it definitely the title definitely suggests something that should come along with a fucking DVD, you know, player. 
you know, you get 200 free DVDs, Killer Elite's definitely one of them. <laughs> I kind of think like it should be that, or it's going to be on, ch- for, for the British listeners, it should be Channel 5 on Saturday night at about 8 o'clock. Nobody watches it, but... <laughs> Um, I've said this many times about uh, how I think, um, you know, for example, Jack Reacher is, is a proper throwback to good action. I think that like Ronan's a really good action film. I think that the transporter kind of fell short of becoming something better than what it became. And uh, there was another one that I thought I, Air America could have became this really cool, interesting international story. I think Killer Elite, it's also actually based on a book on a true story it's it's about jason statham character and robert de niro's character who are freelance uh private security slash hitmen who um uh one's ex army and de niro is ex uh, u.s military and uh they get employed by this uh sikh in the middle east to assassinate uh five british soldiers who killed the uh w- w- one one of this guy's sons pretty much uh but the mission is to, to get them on tape saying that they done it uh and they make it look like it was an accident because they can't have the political uh consequence of it being done as a professional hit and this is kind of to me it's the most interesting part of private security and espionage and assassins and i think it's dealt with very very well and i don't think there's too much action on it to make it like an action film i think it's actually quite politically sound it's quite interesting and it's just it's how to be honest i think it's how real espionage works i mean i'll say a wee bit about clive owen's character he actually works for the british government and he's ex-sas and he can see this pattern of what's happening and so he starts to come after robert de niro and jason statham's character and don't let jason statham put you off i think jason statham on the right uh, Arena is actually a good fucking Absolutely. actor. And he's, he is. And it was even like he said, Clive Owen had an interview and he says, he says, I don't think there's anything, you know, Jason Statham, you know, acting wise isn't up to. He just said that he said when he heard that Statham was taking the other part, he said he really had to up the game on the physical stuff because they had a, they had a couple of handy hand fights in it. And he just said that, you know, even Jason Statham came in and showed him how to do lots of things and all. And he said it was just a really good shoot and all. But it's like it's like a Ronan type film, but it's even more realistic than Ronan. And yeah. I think it was very underrated for a while, but I think it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, we shall wrap up there, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to weigh in on any of the topics that we talked about tonight, give us some uh, feedback, even suggest your own topics. You can find us on Facebook, Let's Talk More Movies Podcast. You can get us on Twitter, at Talk More Movies. Or email us, letstalkmoremovies at gmail.com. You can also leave us comments, reviews, and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on ACAST, where you get interactive show notes and links. Best place to listen to this. I have been your host, Michael Breslin. Shank has been Shank Colm Heron has returned as Colm Heron. Episode 18! 18, bitches! Goodbye. They ever just not want to talk to your dad?
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.